Good morning and welcome to another exciting episode of Ramble by the River. I'm your host, Jeff Nesbitt. It is Saturday, April 17th, the year of our Lord 2021, and we have got a great show for you today. Sometimes you meet a person and you can just tell right away that they're just good. And you don't know what it is about them. It's some just mysterious quality and you can just tell this is a good person. My guest on the podcast today is one of those special people. His name is Cooper Belisle. I met Cooper for the first time when I was just maybe 13 years old. We knew each other through our dads. My dad used to paint his dad's race car and we became friends and him and my brother were good friends and we, we really spent quite a bit of time together through our teen years. After that, I hadn't seen him for a very long time. And so when he came into the podcast um, for this interview, it was really nice. We got to catch up and it kind of just felt like no time had passed. And in, in addition to being one of my friends, which is, you know, that's enough to get you on the podcast if you're an interesting person with cool stories and you're not averse to talking about yourself, I'll have you on. But in addition to that, Cooper is also just like a legitimately interesting, I'd even say fascinating person. During the course of this interview, Cooper walks us through basically his entire life. We get to be there with him when he meets his dad at age 12 and eventually moves in with him. And we get to hear about that experience and some of those struggles and how that has kind of played out through his life. We get to hear about his education as a commercial diver and working in Seattle and learning in Seattle. Then we get to hear about his world travels where he covers the globe and really see some amazing things and meet some amazing people. And yeah, then we also get to hear about his cancer diagnosis, which is intense. And man, I, I mean, really, it really got me. I was not really anticipating how much that was going to hit me, but yeah, it really did. So um, I hope you guys get as much out of it as I did, but I found it to be profoundly moving uh, just to see his attitude and the way that he's able to take these obstacles and turn them into motivation to improve his life. So he's an inspiring guy. It's a really great interview, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Cooper Blyle. Testing. Wait, I guess that sounds pretty good. Testing one, two. And just, you just talk normal. Don't even worry about the pops or any of that stuff. I clean it all up later, and it, it'll sound great. I can't do my late night talk show. That works great. Actually. For all you lovebirds out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, right. damn. Look, you got this all set up. All right. Yeah. So I'll let you be able to see that a little bit better. Right so, on. <laughs> see? <laughs> it's my best Steven Tyler. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, obviously, since I'm from Seattle and I have a lot of friends up there, it just hopefully give your show a little boost. Yeah. I kind of have a funny story about your mom. But I don't know if it's going to be offensive or not. It's not about her, necessarily. No, those are the best kind. It was about, I don't know, it was about this dog that your mom had, um, or your, you and your mother had. Um, I don't know if you remember this dog. But it had, like, really pronounced genital. <laughs> like, it was oh, a female. Um, uh, Lucy. <laughs> you, you had <laughs> Yes. Whatever happened to that dog? You know, I don't know. <laughs> She must have had 20 litters of puppies. Because you, know you know who came up with that name? 
My brother? Me. Oh, it was you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Cooper named the dog with a loose vagina. <laughs> I don't know. I was like thinking about that story on the drive down here. I was like, I don't know if I should tell that or not because I don't want to bring your mom like into something. But I've never seen a vagina like that before. It was. Or since. Because when you, when you guys got that dog, I came up and it was when you guys were, when your mom and your brother were living up in the Cotta. And I was, they had this dog and I used to go over there all the time and visit Jake, obviously, because we were good friends. And, and it was a nameless dog. Yeah. And she just wandered into our neighborhood. <laughs> your brother was like, what should we name this dog? And I, and, you know, he was like rambling of all those names. He was super excited. And I was like, oh, well, we can just call it Lucy because, you know, and your mom fucking shot me devil eyes. Like <laughs> <laughs> she was so upset. I mean, she played it off because like, I like to think your mom liked me a lot when I was a kid. She did. Yeah, but like right then and there, she lost a little bit of love. <laughs> I don't think so. She actually used to often talk about wanting to trade you for one of her sons. She's like, I'd give up either one of them for Cooper. <laughs> That's funny. I could really use a change of scenery. Yeah. Everybody's smoking all the greenery. Yeah. Close the match because they were handed down to me. But I'm still fly. I'm still fly. I know. I'm still fly, I'm still fly, let's go. It could all be worse, I could be a hater like you. It could all be worse. to make the man, but that poison's gonna chew you. From the inside out, so right now. Say it with your chest now, say it with your chest now. I'm young, I'm free. Can't nobody take me here and now. It's my time to ride it out. It's my time. It's my time. It's my time to ride it. I'm young. I'm free. Can't nobody take me here and now. It's my time to ride it out. It's my time. It's my time. It's my time. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of Ramble by the River. My guest today is Cooper Belial. Hello, hello. Cooper's an old friend of mine. We essentially grew up together. He, he came in midway through my childhood, but his dad was already here. So he, he was one of those kids who came in late but just fell right into the beach life and now definitely seems like a local. And then, um, you know, following my graduation, probably... It's 2007. I don't know if I've seen you many times since then. No. Maybe not at all. Have we seen each other since high school? I was thinking, actually, I was thinking about this on the way down as well. I mean, first of all, before I say anything, it's an honor to be on the show. I'm well, thank you for coming. Yeah, it's. I think this is great you're doing this, Jeff. Um, you know, and yeah, I'm try I was thinking about it on the way down here. Um, I think the last time I saw you might have been Carla's funeral. Oh. Yeah. Wow, Which was yeah. not the best time for me, obviously. No, that was horrible. But I was trying to think. I think that might have been the last time I saw you. And that was probably 10 years ago? Uh, that was 2010, I want to say. So, but, uh, yeah, I Over. think it was in April. So I think it'll be 11 years soon. I could be wrong on that. But it's it's been a long time. It's been a really long time, Jeff. It's so good to see you, man. Wow. Yeah, Cooper, it is really good to see you, too. <laughs> yeah. And it, I have followed you on Facebook that entire time. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, that's a poor facsimile for a real relationship. So sure. I see what you're doing, but I don't really know what it's like. And it's, it's cool to get you in front of me and be able to be like, hey, man, 
how was being a cancer survivor? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a story we can get into later. That, that's a funny I, one. I would really like to. Yeah. A funny one, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's funny now, but uh, I mean, yeah, it was also really heartwarming to hear that some people had requested my presence here, which yeah. hopefully I don't let them down. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just an ordinary guy with some extraordinary stories, I guess, but... Uh, your world travels have uh, made the rounds of Facebook. Your your page is very colorful, and your pictures are great. It's just like it's a, you're you're a fun follow. I appreciate. Um, it. Speaking of which, what's your what's your follow information if people want to get on there and check out your pics? Um, I well to be honest, I'm not really on social media that much anymore. Um, I've kind of always had a love hate relationship with social media. Your um, travel your travel albums though are still posted, aren't they? Oh yeah, I know. I still have an active Facebook, Instagram. Um, I guess I'm on Snapchat here and there, but yeah, I mean, Facebook's always been the best, best place to reach me because it's kind of like the best blog style social media platform I found. Mm -hmm. And I can like, instead of just posting pictures for people to see, I actually like to talk about my travels, which Instagram, you know, you can do that on there, but I've always found Facebook to be better for that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, uh, my full name is Cooper Belial. And uh, I'm sure obviously if, uh, if you know Jeff, you probably know of me and yeah. You guys definitely get on there and check out his pictures. He's got some really amazing shots. Of I appreciate travel. It. The the colors are always really bright, and I'm and I'm impressed. I mean, I'm easy to distract with flashy things. So <laughs> I see those colors, I'm like, oh, that's that looks fun. I just I've always knock on wood. I've always gotten so lucky with weather during my travels. Most really? of my pictures have always been nice blue sky, no rain. That's what I mean. They're yeah. all really, like, it looks like sunny days all the time. It's, it's like, heaven. man, I got to start traveling more. <laughs> yeah. Get the fuck out of this cloud. <laughs> yeah, I've always got, I don't know how I've done it. Um, even when I went to Machu Picchu, I mean, my biggest fear was going to Peru was, uh, I, went th I went during the dry season, but um, South America is known for its chaotic weather mm -hmm. and uh a lot of horse i've always heard, heard, heard a lot of horror stories about people showing up the machu picchu climbing up the mountain getting there and it's all fogged out i've heard that too and you can't see four feet in front of your face so, so you just take another bump and head back down <laughs> exactly <laughs> yep so <laughs> oh that's a good one but uh yeah thankfully i got there and the weather cooperated and uh yeah i've just always always gotten lucky with good weather which is uh something i'm, I'm very thankful for I would like to hear your story from the very beginning of when you made the decision to see all these places and how that came about and just go. Give, you, you got all the time in the world. Hey, we're, we're going to ramble. So I get asked this question quite a bit. Um, it's a great question. Um, so, uh, you know, with that being said, obviously after Carla died, who was, you know, really a significant person in my life, obviously she was pretty much my mother. So Carla was your stepmom. Carla was yep, my stepmom. Um, pretty much, pretty much my my real mom. Um, but she was somebody that was very really important to me, and somebody that I looked up to, and somebody that I loved very much. And obviously, you know, anybody that knew Carla and knew her story knew that she had a pretty tragic and tough uphill battle with cancer. And unfortunately, we eventually lost her. And me and, and Carla, I'm sorry. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say it was a long, long time, right? Wasn't it like 12 years or something really yeah. dragged out? The entire time I knew Carla, she was a cancer survivor. And she wow. was, a lot of the time I knew her, she was battle, actively battling cancer. So it was, I mean, I never knew her without, but she fought like hell and she was always in great spirits. And she was definitely a huge inspiration, you know, from our own battle with, with the disease. So... But after, after we lost her, unfortunately, um, I just kind of started to have a lot of thoughts about life and death and what it means to be here. And 
what I wanted to do with my life. And me and Carla always talked about, you know, going to Africa and or going to see the Northern Lights. And we always talked about a lot of things we wanted to do. And unfortunately, she didn't get to do a lot of things she wanted to do. Um, and I just kind of decided, you know, I was going to go do it for me and her. And yeah, I uh, went to school and had an amazing job. And where'd you go to school? I went to a trade school in uh, Seattle, Washington, by the name of Divers Institute of Technology. It's it's considered like the, one of the best dive schools in the world. I was a commercial diver for about four years, and uh, it was an amazing career. I got a lot of great stories about that whole situation, but uh, thankfully it uh, was financially rewarding, and it gave me the opportunity more so in terms of uh, breaks in my life to actually do all this traveling I was able to do. And... Um, yeah, so I went there, graduated, and I was seeing a woman at the time that I was madly in love with and thought she was going to be the one, but I had a conversation with a, with a man at my school, and he kind of, one day we were talking, and I think we were doing deep dives in Lake Washington, and it was a long day, and I was exhausted, and on the, on the boat ride back to port, we were, I was talking to this uh, man that was an instructor there, and he gave me some of the best advice I've ever gotten in my life, and he just says, you know, you just kind of have to go for it because you don't want to be an old man on your deathbed looking back and just thinking like, you know, I wasted everything. What if? What exactly? And that was, that really freaked me out thinking about it. And it should. Yeah. Especially at that age. Yeah. Like I was, that's when you need to make those decisions to, to live. Yeah. God, that was July of 2013 is when I started dive school. So I was, yeah, when I finished, I was 24. So yeah, I was 24 at the time and I was still young and had, you know, a lot of my life ahead of me. And I just decided, you know, I just got to go for it. So I, uh, ended up packing all my stuff, got it, got my career and I booked a flight to China and the rest and is what history. did she say about all that? <laughs> <laughs> she was conflicted. Um, I had told her, you know, come with me. Like, let's go, let's do this together. Very like, romantic. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, she, you know, understandably so. I mean, it's not for everybody. I mean, there's an opportunity cost to everything in life. And she didn't want to do it. And, you know, I respected that and understood. But I just had to go do it for me and me and Carla. So... That must have been a hard choice. It, it was Just one of the hard... Yeah. pick up and go... So where'd you go first? China. Whoa. Yes. <laughs> How did you pick China first? <laughs> well, um, 98% of my travels, I went by myself. But actually, I went... My first trip across seas, I went with one of, I went with one of my really good friends, Mitch. And he had been uh, quite a... He had been a traveler for quite a while. His mother was a, a travel agent. So he he was kind of like I didn't know anything. I'd never been outside the states, you know. Like China, yeah, it was kind of a crazy first stop. But I've always wanted to go. He always wanted to go, and we just kind of went for it. I've heard it's lovely. It's it's great. Um, it's different. It's very it's polar polar opposite of America. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go. I have no no bit of me wants to go to China, and I don't know where that comes from because I do want to go a lot of places. And there's I. Yeah, I don't know. It's got to be some kind of a pop culture image stuck in my head about that. Like, I feel like if I did go, there's a, I probably wouldn't be able to come home. They, they would not let me come home. Yeah, um, I mean, first off, I hate the Chinese government. I'll just say that first and foremost. You're I hear first, people. Yeah, I, I love the Chinese people and the Chinese culture. but The I think food. The food and, you know, I the people there are, are great. It's just the regime they have going over there is quite disgusting to me and pretty weird too that's a whole other topic but um this i mean this was back in 2015 but kind of before 
the political climate we're in now around the world. But um, yeah, I, I went with Mitch and we had a great time and that just kind of spurred my love for traveling. Were and, you in like a big metropolis or are you in rural China? I know it's so big. Sure. Um, I actually went to Beijing. Um, okay. Yeah, I went to Beijing and then we, I, well, the main reason I wanted to go because I wanted to see the Great Wall of China, mm. which is a fantastic landmark and um, which you, you cannot see from space, by the way. I'm, I'm debunking that myth right now. It's way too thin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah people ask, people still believe that for whatever reason, but... Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No, I mean, if you, could, you couldn't see a highway from yeah. space, but you can see the Great Wall of China. I mean, I've been there. It's like 20 feet wide, but... Mm -hmm. I mean, but I mean, that's not the whole point. It's about 2,000 miles long, or I have no idea, but it's it's incredible. So you can see the land where it covers. It, you can go as far as you can see. It's it's uh, it was remarkable, but uh, yeah. So we and they built that whole thing just to keep out the Huns, just a couple little old Huns. The and the and the Mongolians. Oh, the Mongols. <laughs> it was the Mongols. The Mongols, yes. Not Attila the Hun. <laughs> yes. Oh, wait, what Attila the Hun was a Mongol. Was she? It was a man. Oh, I'm gonna tell him you said that. Yeah, <laughs> my my uh, my his my international history could use a touch up for sure. But uh, me too. I'm pr everything I said just then was probably wrong. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of Sean Yu. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Nah, he's the bad guy in Mulan. Attila the Hun, frequently just called Attila, was the ruler of the Huns from 434 A.D. until his death in 453. During his reign, he was one of the most feared enemies of Western and Eastern Roman empires. He crossed the Danube twice to plunder the Balkans. But he was unable to take Constantinople, and his unsuccessful campaign in Persia was followed in 441 by an invasion of the Eastern Roman or Byzantine Empire, the success of which emboldened Attila the Hun to invade the West. He also attempted to conquer the Roman Gaul, which is modern-day France, crossing the Rhine River in 451 and being stopped at the Battle of Catalonian Plains. He subsequently invaded Italy, devastating the northern provinces, but was unable to take Rome. He planned for further campaigns against the Romans, but died in 453 before being able to complete these plans. Genghis Khan, or Genghis Khan as he's often referred to, was the founder and the first great Khan, or emperor, of the Mongol Empire which became the largest contiguous empire in history after his death. He came to power by uniting many of the nomadic tribes of Northeast Asia. After founding the empire and being proclaimed Genghis Khan, an honorary title, meaning the Oceanic Universal Ruler, he launched the Mongol invasions that conquered most of Eurasia, reaching as far west as Poland. These large-scale military campaigns were usually accompanied by massacres of the civilian population. Millions were raped, killed, and taken as slaves. Because of this brutality and the known association with him killing civilians, women, children, he's often cited as the most brutal dictator and ruler in human history. This guy was so successful that he is still conquering today. An international group of geneticists studying Y chromosome data have found that nearly 8% of men living in the region of the former Mongol Empire carry Y chromosomes that are nearly identical to Genghis Khan and that translates to 0.5% of the male population of the world or roughly 16 million living descendants today. That means that he went around just fucking his way through the largest contiguous empire in history and he left so much cum in these ladies that they managed to change the population of the planet. If you'd like to hear somebody who actually knows what they're talking about regarding Genghis Khan, check out Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. It's available on Apple Podcasts, 
probably iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you get podcasts. But it's fantastic. It's a historical podcast that actually is backed up with research and it's it's very very good it's very entertaining and kind of mind-blowing and really goes into this guy Genghis Khan and how much impact he had on the world and just how big he really was so anyway Genghis Khan came much later than Attila the Hun had a much bigger impact he's the one who they wanted to protect themselves from when they built the Great Wall Attila the Hun was long gone my bad um, sorry about the confusion. Also, Sean Yu, he's the bad guy in Mulan the cartoon. Carry on. Oh. <laughs> but I think he's based off of Attila the Hun. Gotcha, gotcha. But I don't fucking know. Yeah. Sounds like there's somebody here. You want to take a break? Um, no, nah, it's okay. There's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, sorry, I cut you off there. No you worries. Were, so, ch- after China, what happened? So, after China, I fell in love with traveling and so basically I guess I should kind of preface so basically how my job worked is that we worked for I worked for an inland company based out of uh, Montana and we worked on drinking water facilities dams bridges water towers pretty much anything in in regards to inland diving I, I worked uh, we, we, we worked on and um so you're diving in like in like water towers and holding tanks and things like that or or what do you mean yeah yeah we, were, we would dive in water towers we would dive in humongous Drinking water fil- filtration facilities, dams, bridges—you pretty much name it. Um, we didn't do any coastal work, um, but with that being said, we worked for two months straight, and then then I had two weeks off every two hmm. months. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that's why um, it was exhausting, grueling work, but that's why I was able to travel so periodically and so consistently because every two months I had two weeks to my to myself, and that was always scheduled at a time. So yeah. you would know when those two weeks were coming? Yeah, and then the, the great thing about it, we everything would freeze over in the winter, and um, our operation would reduce so much that a lot of us would get laid off in the, from pretty much Christmas to March. So I would get at least two months off every year, and that's how I was able to do those huge backpacking Europe trips. So it was perfect for facilitating that lifestyle. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So... I fell in love with traveling after China. I figured I'd just go for it, and I booked a trip to Egypt. That yeah. one sounds pretty appealing to me. It's incredible. A lot of history there. Oh, yeah, more more so than most places. Probably more than we know. Yeah. They find more all the time. The pyramids are still, to this day, my favorite landmark I've ever seen. Um, they're ginormous. It's just incredible how humans could have done that thousands of years ago. But You think they had help? Man, I mean, all the, all the reports lately, I, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, it's been... What is with that? <laughs> I know, right? Are we being fucked with, or is there aliens? Uh, dude, I don't even know what to believe anymore, but... Me neither. It's... I mean... It, I l- really, really don't. Like, um, it's bizarre. The amount... Like, the, the government, legitimate people telling us that, like, yeah, they're there. We have some crafts that are not from this world. Yeah. It's pretty bizarre. It's really... It's exciting, uh, though. Yeah, I mean, I think if the aliens were here back then helping build the pyramid, they would have left like an iPad or like, they would have left something, right? You they know? left the pyramids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. The What about the Baghdad battery? That's like a 9,000-year-old, uh, no, nah, maybe not that old. I don't remember how old, but it's old, thousands of years old, and it's a battery. It's made it in like a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, a clay pot. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I've heard of this. There's there's some pretty... But I mean, that was probably just some real smart 
Iraqi dude. I think it was found in Iraq. That would have been Sumeria or something like that. The Baghdad Battery, or Parthian Battery, according to Wikipedia, is a set of three artifacts, a ceramic pot, a tube of copper, and a rod of iron. The three objects were discovered together in modern-day Iraq, close to a former metropolis during 150 BC to 223 AD, or 224 AD to 650 AD. Researchers have been able to determine that it came from one of those two periods. They're not sure which. Contrary to my belief, the origin and purpose remain unclear. I said it was a battery. I was probably full of shit. It was hypothesized by some researchers that the object could have functioned as a galvanic cell, possibly used for electroplating or some kind of electrotherapy. But there was no electroplated objects known from this period, nor did they find any in the area. An alternative explanation is that it functioned as a storage vessel for sacred scrolls. That seems like complete speculation to me, but I don't really know what I'm talking about. I'm not an archaeologist or a historian. I'm just a dude with a podcast. So I thought I would jump in here and just clarify what I know and what I don't know about the Baghdad battery. Carry on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's some stuff that they've found in the ground that's been pretty, pretty cool. That hard to believe that it wasn't put there by people with alien help. But I don't really, I don't really buy it. I want it to be true because it, it does make sense. But it's, there's just such a barrier to actually believing that. Yeah. Like if it came down to like, all right, well, now you have to no gray area. You got to make a decision. You either did this happen or not. I would have to say probably not. But you never know. I mean, the universe is so big and aliens definitely do exist, in my opinion. It's no doubt in my mind. I just don't know if they've ever been here or not. But or if they even have the same level of like character or personality, like we just automatically transpose all of our humanness onto these people uh, onto I see I just did it onto these beings that are not us and we've never seen we have no evidence to assume anything that they're anything like us they sure. they like what if they're more like a you know you ever open an old bag of bread and it's all covered in green what if that's an alien what if the aliens are like that life form instead of like humans and be like well this sucks Right, we yeah. got a bunch of space mold. Yeah, that's that's no fun. <laughs> we know, we right? wanted like the predator, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's an alien. I've never seen that movie. What? Oh, well, that's a good one. Yeah, I'm sure it is. People talk about it still. It's pretty old. <laughs> Get to but the top. Uh, is it an alien? Is a predator an alien? Yeah, it was an, an apex predator, if you will, that would, that came to the Earth and to hunt man because man is the ultimate hunt, apparently. Okay. And Arnold Schwarzenegger was the guy to do it. So, so it's basically the most dangerous game. Exactly. Right? Space, with space creatures. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. Where were we? We were. Oh, Egypt. Aliens. Yes. Um. Yes. So yeah. And then, God. I mean, looking back, it, it, when it all was happening, because this was over the span of you know four and a half, five years, I was doing this traveling, and it all just kind of blends together. I bet. But looking back, I was like, I think, wow, like that was kind of crazy. Like, yeah, that was. I guess I mean it didn't really feel like that crazy when I was doing it, but I guess I did. I did see quite a bit of places. I mean, I was really impressed just because, um, like, my life's pretty much the same every day. So 
uh, two months goes by and then I see you post another round of pictures from a whole nother country. I'm like, oh, wow. And then another two months goes by and you're doing it again. It's like, this guy's getting around. <laughs> I didn't realize you were coming back yeah, and really? going back to work. I thought you were just traveling the world for like years, it felt like. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Yeah. But it was cool. It's, it's still cool. I like those pictures. They're fun to look at. I appreciate it. You must have met a lot of cool people. Yeah. So you met Swiss J Free, the, of course. the rapper at that coffee shop. Who else? Dude, I had that was probably my favorite part about traveling was just the people I met and the conversations I had. It's you know it's kind of why I wanted to come here and do this because I love a good conversation. And I uh, got I mean I mean the thing is a lot of, I mean I'm sure a lot of people have realized too. I actually traveled to the entire country, the entire United States as well. I went to all 50 states during the, during this entire time. Wow. Yeah. So I've been to all 50 states and that was a amazing experience as somebody What's that Connecticut loves like? this country. Connecticut is really quiet and shopping malls and colleges and it's one of those states that I forget exists sometimes. Yeah, I don't like, blame you. Yeah. I'll go a long time without thinking about Nebraska. Oh yeah. You know, but they exist. There's people there living. I've been to Omaha a million times. It's uh it's boring. They have good steak? Good barbecue, yeah. I mean You can get that shit in the mail. <laughs> the, the, the I mean the South is definitely the best region of the country for food in my opinion. A Mississippi? Oh yeah. What do they have there that you like? Brisket. Oh god, I love a good brisket. Yeah, I mean, I mean the South is known for its obesity, and I don't I don't blame them because no. that shit's fucking good. <laughs> yeah, they've got the best food, and it shows. Yeah, no, hundred percent. But uh, um, yeah, but yeah, it was just the conversations I had, and I was you know I talked to. Rich Ivy League students in the Northeast, to uh, immigrants in Miami, to farmhands in Iowa, to surfer bros in California, and people all around the world. And I just had so many great conversations and learned a lot about people and cultures and a lot about myself in the process. So That's awesome. Yeah. Some of my best memories of my traveling were just staying up late in a dirty, disgusting hostel, just sitting on the floor and drinking beer and having conversations with complete strangers and just learning about other people in their lives and you're really open in that kind of setting because you're never going to see these people again and mm -hmm. you know and you're drunk and you're having a great time and you're partying and it's just the whole world just kind of stops and you can just kind of not only be yourself but just kind of tell people what you think and you know they don't like you you can leave the hostel the next day and you'll never see them again anyway but they truly live in the moment it, well very well said yeah i just i met I met so many great people, and I'm still friends with them to this day. And you know, I have a good friend and uh, from Germany that I plan on seeing eventually. Uh, actually, when I went to Africa, he was my travel buddy throughout my Africa expedition. Uh, shout out, shout out to Yannick. Um, but he lives in Europe, and I plan on seeing him eventually. And you know, and just I like I've made so many great friends that I plan on having the rest of my life. So it seems like if you have more plans to go back to Europe, airfare is affordable these days. Yeah, it, was it like? I manage, imagine you spent a lot of money traveling around. Yeah, on it, plane tickets. It wasn't. It's not nearly as expensive as people think, but it was. It's a. It's not. I mean, I be. God, I went to. I went. I mean, I went to a lot of places, and it, it adds up. You know, I could have. I could have bought a house with all the money I probably spent. You know, traveling at least put a down payment. And, and you could have just sat in that house every day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it. I mean, it's it. I made a lot of mistakes when I first started because I had no idea what the hell I was doing. But that's how you learn. Yeah, that's how I learned. And what kind I, of mistakes? Booking the wrong flights, booking the expensive hotels when I didn't need them. And oh yeah, 
just, you know, I, I, I mean, I like to think I'm like a travel expert now. I love helping people with their travels. Like I've had a million people reach out to me through the years asking for help with passports, visas, reservations, tours, you name it, flights. Um, but this is something I'll, I had to learn the hard way, but I love, you know, I would, if I could prevent somebody from making the same mistakes I did, I think that's a pretty cool situation and pretty, uh, it's a win-win for both of us, but it's, it's expensive, but I mean, obviously with COVID hopefully coming to an end soon, traveling is going to open up and I plan on getting back out there and hopefully a lot of people are as well. Where did you, where were you when COVID hit? Uh, this is a crazy story. I, so 2020 was supposed to be a magical year for me. <laughs> I had, uh, I, I, I worked at my current job, um, and I had saved up quite a bit of money and I was planning to do a huge Africa expedition from Kenya all the way down to South Africa. Wow. And then after that, I was gonna be home for about a month and then I was gonna do pretty much Dubai to Singapore and like do about 10 countries in between that over the span of like two or three months. And you're taking buses and taxis and ships and all kinds of different transport in between? Uh, mostly flights, but a lot of buses and some trains. I, I had planned. I had this whole thing planned out. Mm -hmm. And then obviously when COVID hit, that all went to complete shit. <laughs> so towards the end of my expedition of, of Africa is basically when COVID really started to get really serious. It wasn't Ramping really a joke up. anymore. Yeah. And so around January, February. I actually got back. To, I got back pretty much exactly a year ago right mm. now. Yeah. Oh, so you were in the heat of it. Yeah, yeah, I almost got stuck in Africa. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, I, I left the States, and COVID was on everybody's radar, but it was primarily in China. And Were you concerned about leaving? Not really. I mean... Too excited? I was excited, and, you know, we've had outbreaks before, and, you know, SARS and bird flu, and, you know, like, this is back... It we, did seem very much the same as those yeah. back then. Not anymore. Exactly. And so I didn't think much of it, um, but... The entire time I was in Africa, like every week, obviously it was getting worse and worse and worse. And I was like, oh man, like this really might mess things up in my life. But whatever, I'm in Africa. I'm having a great time. I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. But I'm in Namibia and I'm in the middle of the desert on, you know, it's beautiful out there. Um, and we had gotten word that they had shut down the Johannesburg airport. Uh -huh. And Johannesburg airport is like pretty much the largest airport in, the, in that entire region of Africa. So yeah, so I'm in Namibia, and I'm having a great time, and it's hot, it's beautiful, and you know, didn't really have a whole lot of cares in the world, but... Namibia, I picture desert, is that right? Yeah, uh, Namibia is, to my knowledge, the only place in the world where the desert meets the ocean. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's, I mean, I'm, you, you, those of you listening at home, you can Google it. And so it's like one giant beach. I mean, that's not the entire country, but it's a huge country, mm -hmm. but it's, it was, we went to... Uh, um, we went all over the, all over the um, country and just, well, yeah, I mean, you're not, you're not wrong. It's a lot of desert, a lot of humongous rock formations. And, uh, it was, it was incredible, but we were like 300 miles away from the nearest airport. And we had gotten word on our satellite phone that they were considering, they were pretty much about to shut down the Johannesburg airport, which is like the central airport hub of that region of Africa. And every flight internationally flies out of Johannesburg. And they were considering shutting it down to everybody. So wow, yeah. So there was a legitimately, you know, there was a couple of days there where I actually thought that I was going to be stuck in Africa for like six months. It's like I was becoming African. Yeah, <laughs> which didn't seem that bad. But I had a girlfriend at the time, and I had a life to get back to. And 
you know, and as much as fun as I was having, you know, I always get homesick and I was ready to come home. Yeah. And that's the best part about, I don't know about the best part. That's one great part about traveling for me is like that being excited to go home. Yeah. Like, it's not like, oh, boring. My old house. It's just like, oh, my space where I feel comfortable. That's, that's, or that, that first shower back at your own house. Nothing better. 100%. So I was I was very concerned. I was pretty stressed out over it, um, but thankfully I was able to pull some strings and use a lot of my travel expertise. And I mean, if that was my first trip across seas, I would have been losing my mind. But I th- bet. Thankfully, I was pretty experienced and I kept my head on my shoulders decently well. And I was able to manage to get a flight out of Windhoek, Namibia, to Johannesburg, and then I flew home. So it was very. It was. I mean, I was close. It was stressful. I mean, this was, again, this was kind of the whole world was falling apart. <laughs> and I'm and in they the were getting ready to shut down all these international flights. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I kept hearing horror stories of people getting stuck in Peru and all over the world people were getting stuck. I mean, there was this one festival in, I think, Costa Rica. It was like the Coachella of Costa Rica. And they had like 150 people stuck on this beach because they wouldn't let them leave. And I was like, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I, have yeah. no, I have no interest in doing that. So I, I, I found the quickest flight home. And next couple days after that, I was on a flight. Wow. So, yeah. So, that was last year around March. So, what you been doing the last 365 days? Um, well, I'm back in school, um, obviously. Same place or new stuff? Uh, new, new stuff. Uh, I graduated uh, DIT and became a commercial diver. And I loved my, my dive career, but it was exhausting. I bet. I mean, I like I said, I saw every 50 stay, and I was traveling all over the country. I mean, one day I'd be in Maine. The next day I'd be in Vermont. A week after that, I'd be in Nevada. Like, I was all over the place, which was a great time. I mean, I, I got to see the entire country from, I got to work in New York City. I got to work in Las Vegas. I saw the Grand Canyon. I worked at NASA in Florida. I just, I would just tell everyone that, I think. If, <laughs> <laughs> was, yeah, you know, I, I worked at NASA back in the day, but, yeah. you know, no big deal. Not a, yeah, I, I worked on the fire suppression tanks they have there in case one of the rockets explode. Mm-hmm. Paid, well, got paid ridiculous amounts of money to work on the you know work on the launch pads. Essentially, it was a, that's awesome. It was a great experience. Uh, one time, I fixed the roof on uh, Mr. Yoshida's teriyaki sauce plant. <laughs> yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it just got. I mean, it's really it's like first world problems. Like I had a roof over my head and food in my stomach, so I really couldn't complain. But it just got exhausting sleeping in, you know, days ends and eating Applebee's every day and I just you know I, I kind of needed some more stability in my life and really I mean the main reason I quit is I got cancer and yeah that really kind of threw my entire life into a spiral but yeah it makes Applebee's sound disgusting yeah <laughs> yeah I mean not to hate on Applebee's but I was no, over fuck it Applebee's. <laughs> yeah. I like I like uh Chili's more but that's no, just me. I, I actually think in my mind they are the same restaurant yeah I can't tell them apart yeah you're, I mean you're not really wrong but they're both okay, actually. I'm sorry I said that, Applebee's. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just decided I'd start a new chapter, and I came home, and uh, I got a great job. I'm, I'm currently working at a restaurant now. I manage a restaurant. Um, and, uh, it's what not, restaurant? I work at McMinimins. McMinimins, cool. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard of them. Is it haunted? Uh, I think so. Some wow. some lady got butchered, butchered on the third floor of our hotel, and really she, she messes with people every once in a while. But. It seems like that's their brand. They <laughs> like they like a good haunted building for a restaurant, a hotel. Yeah, it's it's a cool spot. It's a great company. They've always taken care of me. It's not something I want to do with the rest of my life. But do you like uh, working in hospitality, or is that just filling the filling the void for now? 
Um, I mean, I like being a manager. I mean, I was a team leader in my dive career for a good portion of it. So, and I've always had a decent amount of supervising experience. So, I'd like be a good boss. You think so? Yeah, I do. I would. Uh, you're not someone who I would have a problem taking orders from. It, it's an ego ego thing. Like people who have a problem with basically anyone who has a problem taking orders from other people is sure. gonna make a terrible boss because they think that that power dynamic is where they get their status. So as soon as they're the boss, all of a sudden they see themselves as higher than everybody else. It's just a bad situation. But you, I don't get that impression from you at all. Well, I appreciate it. I think you're probably a great boss. I try I, to be. Yeah, I, that's, I was, when I was in grad school, that was where I was taking my career was, um, I, had, I haven't thought about this for a long time. But, um, so I did a year of grad school after I got my psychology degree. Um, when I moved back here, I decided, I was just like, I, I don't want to be done with school yet. I still like, I still enjoy it and I wanted to do more. So I enrolled in uh, online grad school. The things I liked about undergrad was the people. I was motivated by competition. I wanted to set the curve. I wanted to be the best in my class. Like I, I, I cared a lot about, I mean, was, I wanted to be the best I could be, but I definitely enjoyed making other people jealous <laughs> yeah, um, right. and I wanted to do more of that but you don't get that with the online school you, you just end up doing a lot of reading feels like going through the motions so I ended up quitting but what I was doing was um, industrial organizational psychology so where like the job I was looking at was where you would go in to a big corporation have meetings with everybody figure out who's wasting time and energy and fire them and then you know get paid a whole bunch of money really well i'm so glad i didn't do that i really don't like having to micromanage people but i also really don't like having people do shit without asking or take more liberties than they're supposed to it's just sure. like it's a very fine line of where it's a comfortable area anyway i'll stop grandstanding you go ahead no well, no we were um oh yeah let's talk about the cancer yeah that's, cancer i mean that's a huge deal and your attitude about the whole thing is very light. It, I, I, I wonder, did you have that kind of almost it, like you're not weighted down by it? Like, did you have that during the process of your, from your diagnosis through, or is that something that you've been able to acquire since becoming, you know, since going into remission? Sure, that's a good question. Um, I mean, cancer is something I think about every single day. Yeah, it's a motherfucker. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about the time I got, I got sick or the possibility of getting sick again and how it kind of changed my life forever. But, I mean, I act like I'm pretty tough about it, but I, I'm, I'm a big wuss, and I, it freaked me out. Oh, I'm sure, man. Yeah, it really, it kind of messed me up a lot um, during the whole process. I mean, I guess I could tell you the whole story from start to finish. If you're, if you're okay with it, yeah, I'd no. love to hear it. I've actually podcast aside have really been wanting to hear it from you sure it's it's a pretty crazy tale um where do i start so god um so this is kind of a crazy whole a crazy part of the whole story is um for those of you who don't know um my father and my uncle both had testicular cancer was what i would eventually be diagnosed with when i was 27 and it's thankfully it's a it's a has a has a high survival rate. I mean, obviously, with any cancer, it's incredibly serious, and it's something that shouldn't be taken lightly. 
but it's something that runs in our family. And this is something that they didn't really think was a possibility. I mean, they never consider, they consider most cancers genetic in some form or another, but they've only recently started to realize that testicular cancer is also genetic. So my brother, my, my brother, my father and his brother, them both having the same cancer was very odd to them back in the day. And this was back in the 80s and 90s, I believe they were both diagnosed. And they thought it was a fluke. Yeah. And it was really perplexed the... Uh, Just unlucky. Yeah, it really perplexed the medical community from what, I, from what they've told me. And when I got sick, I when I told my doctor that my father... I, 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 eventually, when I found out that I did indeed have testicular cancer, my father and... And, and then I told him that my my father and his brother had it. My d- doctors were very perplexed and very amazed by that by that story because they thought that was so weird. So they're really just figuring this out. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, and every doctor I've seen since has also been very kind of perplexed by this. So it, I mean, I I'm not a doctor. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't just assume that it's genetic by that alone, but it's pretty good indicator. Exactly. And I guess we're thankfully it's not that common. And but having three people in the same family get it, you know, around that's, roughly around the same age. So yeah, that's crazy. So, but anyways, I guess to start the very not looking back. So I was 26 at the time, and I was working in Idaho. I was working on a bridge, I think it was, and I noticed I was starting to get in some pain in uh in, in my nether regions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ask any man, his most prized possession in the world is his dick and balls. So I love mine. Yeah. So I was uh, concerned. I thought, well, that's pretty weird. And I noticed that it was a very minor pain. It was maybe a 2 out of 10 on the overall pain scale. But so, even a 1 it, when it's in there is, is noticeable. Exactly. And it was, you know, I got to protect my family jewels at all costs. So I made an appointment and I went and saw a doctor. And I, I didn't think much of it. And... He checked it out and didn't see anything of serious concern, and we did an ultrasound just to be safe, and everything came back good, and he said, you know, there's a good chance it's just fluid buildup, a good portion of men your age experience this, it's nothing serious. He told you you had blue balls? Uh, not not as now. I mean, oh, I was getting plenty then. So, <laughs> well, that sounds sounds like what he's implying. I know, right? I was like, what the fuck? No, 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 <laughs> no. I uh, wanted to smack him after he said that. No, I'm just playing. Um, but he uh, he said it wasn't a big deal and just go on with your life. So I said, fine, right, cool, fuck it. So I went on to working and didn't think much of it. But about a year later, I noticed that the pain was still persistent and it hadn't gone away. And I think, I think okay, well, this is a little odd. And shortly after I made that realization, about a month or two later, I noticed my left ball had literally became as hard as a diamond. Oh, man. Like, I was amazed about, it was harder than, the, I, I was amazed about how hard a testicle could become, because it was literally like I had a pool ball in my fucking nutsack. Was it calcified? I was it just, that was just... It was just, uh, the I mean, eventually cells. I would find out the tumor cells had become so compacted and so potent, I guess, if you will. They had completely consumed the entire testicle. Wow. Yeah. And that's when I started to get pretty, pretty concerned, obviously. Like, yeah, I, I bet this isn't fluid buildup. This is obviously something pretty serious. So how severe was the pain at this point? This point, it was like maybe a four. So it had gotten worse and you were more concerned and yeah. your, your ball had turned into a rock. Pretty much. Yeah. Wow. Was it smooth? I mean, I, I know I'm, we're getting into the weeds here, but no, no, I, mean, I feel my nuts all the time, and yeah. I feel like I would notice a difference. No, I got a vasectomy a year and a, two years ago, 
So like the they put these little stainless steel clips in there and then like over the next six months, those things get calcified all over the outside. So there's the, like these two little huh. rock basically things in there. And and they hurt. I I, I got a vasectomy too. So. Oh, you did? Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking vasectomy about. Vasectomy buddies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I've been there. Yeah. Uh, so um, I, I know what you're talking about. But yeah, just my point being, I would notice that stuff, and um, so I feel like that would be terrifying to find that you're like, oh shit, that's not supposed to feel like that. I mean, yeah, it's 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 my prized possession. Like I need this thing to live, so um, I need the whole unit really. <laughs> yeah, um, the, the, the octagon. <laughs> 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 but uh, so I. I was pretty concerned and um, I can't. So it become very hard. And again, I'm driving all over the place. I'm really busy trying to run this dive team successfully and safely. And I have a lot going on in my life and I'm planning my next trip. And, you know, the last thing I needed in the world, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was go see a doctor, but it got to the point where I didn't really have a choice. So I, I think I was in West Virginia at the time working. And I noticed since when I noticed that my ball had become very hard and very not right, and over the span of the next three days, it had swollen up to the size of a grapefruit. Oh, damn. And the amount of pain I was in was immeasurable. It was easily, to this day, the worst, the most painful experience of my entire life. God. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen a few grapefruit nuts <laughs> in my day, too, to be exact. Yeah. It, it is shocking. I was uh, I was amazed about how fast it had swollen up and how painful it had become. Like even touching it, I was literally throwing up. Oh my god! Yeah, I thought throwing up from immense pain was only in the movies, but it's definitely a real oh, thing. Real. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, this definitely is very not normal. <laughs> so yeah. I called the doctor. Like, you guys need to see me. No, um, my first my first doctor I saw was in Idaho. The second doctor I saw eventually see that would eventually diagnose me was in Virginia. Or I think I think it was in West Virginia, and I went to the doctor and I said, "Okay, well, I'm gonna take my pants off, and you guys can look if you don't believe me how serious this <laughs> so is. I was crazy. Let the grapefruit nut do the talking. <laughs> exactly. So he checked me out. and He was like, "Okay, well, this is con of concern." And then we did an and then I did an ultrasound, and he I, after after all the tests and all the machines they put me through, I was sitting in a in a, a doctor's office. And he, the doctor had came in and asked me some questions, and then he left. And he was gone for about 20 minutes. And I was thinking, okay, You're well, scared. that's not a good sign. Yeah. And then he came back into the room with a clipboard with, like, a phone book level of paper on it. And I thought, okay, that's definitely not a good sign. And he was, like, pacing the room, and I could tell, like, tensions were high. You know, I was like, what the fuck's going on here? Like, this guy has something he wants to tell me that he's not telling me. And you're, like... Oh, that's such a weird place because I bet you're feeling like you're hoping for resolution because you want to know what the fuck's going on with your body, but you're also hoping for, you know, not, it's you know, you're not going to get the answer. Oh, everything's fine. Go back on with your life because you sure. have this situation. Um, so it's a it's a lose lose. You're sitting there in a lose lose situation. Yeah, it was God. scary. <laughs> Sounds terrible. But so he eventually come around to telling you. Yeah, he kind of looked me in the eyes and like. I had never, for whatever reason, thought I would get cancer. It just never crossed my mind. And he looked me in the eyes like, I, well, I got bad news. It's not only do you have cancer, you it, look, uh, it looks like you've had cancer for a while now. And you pretty much need to be in surgery like tomorrow or you're going to be dead in a year. That's pretty much what he oh told me. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, we have no idea how long you've had this, but due to your symptoms and your test results, you've probably have had this for quite a while. And I was like, oh. and my jaw just dropped and like the room was just spinning uh yeah it was uh it was something else but 
Um, yeah, it was scary. <laughs> oh my god, that's oh fuck, man. I don't even know what to say to that. That's so real. Just, yeah, I'm so glad you're here. Me too. Um, I mean, thankfully, uh, I mean, well, that being said, I told my diet team, you know, obviously party's over. We're driving back to Montana and I got to start this new chapter in my life. So we drove back to Montana in like span of like three days. I had made an appointment with a gynecologist to have surgery. And I mean, that's not even, that's not, even, it gets worse actually. <laughs> the worst, the tire, the worst part about this whole experience was when I eventually got to Montana, I went, I drove to Bozeman where I would have surgery and get treatment. And I got there and obviously I was aware that I had cancer, but they wanted to do some more tests to see if they, if I had had any, had any spread. And they stuck me over the span of a couple of days. They stuck me in all these machines and did all these tests and treated me like a guinea pig, which was, you know, that's how it goes. I mean, thankfully we live in a country and live in a modern age where we have the ability to do these kind of things. And I, uh, they, I did a, what's called a full body CT scan. It's a, essentially you drink this disgusting chemical. Again, I'm not a doctor. Hopefully I'm explaining this all right, but you drink this gross chemical. Which, so that oh. stuff's radioactive oh. and it releases a small radioactive signal. So when you drink it, it goes throughout your whole body and then it shows up on a, on a scan. Oh shit. Yeah. I don't know. That. I mean, I've done a number of them since, but, uh, yeah. So I drank this liquid and they put me a pretty much get you naked down to your underwear and they put you in these huge machines. They give you an IV and this IV I believe is what activates what's inside your body. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm not, you know, I'm no doctor, but, and, um, they did this whole body scan of me to check for spread. And usually the first place Texas cancer spreads to, if it's not treated, is your lymph nodes, and that's serious. And then the third place is your lungs, and that's very, very serious. And again, here I am sitting in a doctor's office after all these tests. I'm like a mess. <laughs> like my entire life, it just turns completely upside down. And again, this doctor walked in, and he started asking me some questions, and he asked, and he said, well, I checked your records, and it says here you're not a smoker. And I'm like, no, I never have been. I mean, I, I smoked some hookah when I was 19, but you know, I've never been a cigarette smoker. And he was like, okay, well, that's why I'm kind of here. Um, we found some things of concern. Uh, we found some masses in your lungs. And this is obviously what you're, what you're going through is very serious, but this is starting to get extremely serious. And more, and he was like, and we only usually see these masses when people are either smokers or they indeed have spread of cancer to their lungs. So now I'm like really freaking out. I'm like, what the hell? And I'm like, well, I'm not a smoker. So deductive reasoning suggests that I might possibly have cancer spread to my lungs. And I was, and he was like, well, I have to have my team of doctors look this over. We have to do some more tests and we'll let you... Hopefully we'll know by Monday. And it was, I think it was Friday. And he was like, we'll let you know by Monday. I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll try to enjoy my fucking weekend now. Like, God damn. <laughs> yeah, it was a long 48 hours. Like, I would just, I'm going to sit here and wait. I'll be here. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, it was, uh, that was the longest weekend of my life. What did you do? I was at a hotel and I just made a lot of phone calls and I, I needed, I, I, the entire thing from diagnosis to surgery, I was by myself. So you're by yourself in a hotel for the weekend. And you can't even jerk off. <laughs> yeah, right. <And laughs> that was the worst part. <laughs> if you're gonna live, oh my God, Cooper. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a very traumatizing experience. But there is a there is good news. Um, Monday came around. I went back to the doctor very urgently, 
And he says, well, we've looked things over. We've done, we've looked over mortgage tests. And for some reason, it appears you don't have, can you don't have cancer in your lungs from the looks of it. You have a, a large amount of mold. Mold? Yeah. Which I was like, coastal living, man. What do you, I mean, that's actually ran through my mind. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, well, it appears like you have significantly more mold in your lungs than the average human. And I was like, what? And he was like, well, what do you do for a living? I'm do like, most of us have a lot of mold? I, well, that's the thing. A, a lot of, I mean, there's natural water vapor in the air. Yeah. Like all, every human in the world has mold in their lungs. Okay. Um, but the thing is, since I was a commercial diver, I was spending hours upon hours underwater every day. With recycled air? That, or, how, were you on a tank? Uh, no, I was, uh, we, I was, it was called surface applied diving. Okay. Essentially, we were, uh, we wore yeah, like hose. giant Ironman helmets on our head and they're very well designed. They're, they, they do a great job of keeping you alive, but they're not perfect and they leak quite often of water. Oh. And the thing is, we, we realized that chances are, since I breathe in so much more water vapor than the average human, I had like a hundred times more mold in my lungs than the average wow. human. Wow. And you never would have known that. Exactly, yeah. And it makes total sense because I would be under underwater for hours on end and, you know, I'd swallow a lot of water and, you know, you're constantly breathing in water vapor. It's like you're living in a shower for four hours straight, you know? Yeah. And we realized that, thankfully, it was not mold. I mean, it was not cancer. It was indeed mold. And it wasn't serious. And But, like, this, the, that the entire traumatizing experience was still there. Like I was yeah. still a mess. Like it's still not great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not like great news. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was better news, thankfully. But I mean, and this all took place in like the matter of like a week. Yeah, from like diagnosis to driving to Montana to getting ready to have surgery to being told I could possibly have lung cancer, and like this all took place so fast, and. I got I got surgery. Um, I'm flying solo, and you know I'm happy. I'm alive. I'm sober. You know life has been good to me, and you know I'm thankful. I mean I can't really complain. There's a lot of guys out there that were being told they had weeks to live. You know when I was when they were 27 like me. So I can't really complain. You know shit happens. Yeah. And uh, so how long ago was the surgery? It'll be four. I got diagnosed in June of 17, so it'll be four years in a couple months. Wow. Yeah. And how? So what is it? What does that entail for follow-ups and that kind of thing? You have to, I imagine you're pretty religious about keeping checks going and all that. Yeah, um, I, well, in the first couple of years, I, I mean, the first, like, four months after getting diagnosed, I pretty much lived in a hospital. I, I was actually staying down here with my father, and I was going to Aberdeen to get checkups and get treated and all that good stuff. I Thankfully, I didn't have to do chemo. Um, they were amazed that, like, we caught it so late, but there was actually no spread somehow. Wow. Yeah, so I got really lucky in that regard. And that being said, gentlemen, if you're out there, and or really anybody, uh, men and women alike and everybody in between, if you have a problem, go to the doctor. Like, yeah. Don't try to be a, a toughie about it. And check. And check yourself. Yeah, gentlemen, if you're in the shower, it's the best place to do it. Just check your boys. Um, you know, They're not going to tell you if something's wrong with them. I mean, my symptoms were very abnormal. Like 3% of the people that men that have cystic cancer actually have my symptoms. Mm -hmm. Most men that get it are just a small, painless lump. And it's hard to miss. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there was no miss in mind for sure. Um, wow. Yeah, it was a, it's a crazy story, but I'm alive and, you know, life is good. Yeah, I bet. Did that change the way you think about life? Definitely, yeah. It definitely showed me I, it was kind of time to grow up a little bit. And, I mean, I was traveling the world and drinking and... I didn't, you don't give a fuck about anything, you know? Living it up. Yeah, which, was, which is fine. You know, everybody needs that time in their life. But I kind of... And that's kind of one of the reasons I quit. I quit diving and 
and I uh, wanted to just kind of get, get more stability in my life and just kind of start a new chapter. And it was, it, it changed me for sure. I'm definitely a different person than I was then, but you know. You seem great. Like you, your energy is very strong and positive. I appreciate it. I... Because, I mean, really, I mean, it's a true story. I did love music to my travels. I listened. Oh, I was yeah. listening to music. I had headphones in my ear the entire time I was traveling. I'm all about music right now. I go through phases where sometimes I, I'm not listening to it all that much. And then other times I'm just hooked. And that's like all I want to do is listen to music and, and starting to be more and more. I, I want to make music. but um, That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it sucks because I don't know how. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, music was like a really huge part of my travels. It was really good for like long flights, long train rides, stuck at the airport for hours on end. Like music definitely helped a lot. Music and podcasts, but more specifically music. Um, I listened to everything from Tame Impala to Mac Miller, of course, to- Rest in peace. Rest in peace, you know, stuff like that. But of course, anybody that knows me well knows I love Mac Miller and his music. Mac um, Miller. Yeah, man. Sad story. A, a, a happy story with a sad ending is how I like to think of it. Yeah. Um, was it fentanyl that killed him? Yeah. So, 26 years old, um, his actually his assistant found him, unfortunately, um, collapsed in his bedroom. And, uh, yeah, they found, I mean, it wasn't hard to find. They, I guess they found some drugs at his residence. And uh, they, after the autopsy and whatnot, they eventually found, uh, yeah, he had overdosed on fentanyl. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's kind of why I, my, my uh, I guess kind of my gospel these days uh, is don't do drugs. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's definitely a good rule of thumb. Yeah, so. There's a lot of nuance to unpack in that, in that statement, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to say I agree. If you have to choose between either complete restriction and unregulated use without, you know, taking precautions, I would definitely choose not I, it's possible to do them without ruining your life i just finished this book called drug use for grown-ups i think is what it's called it's by this professor from columbia university who the whole book is basically about the fact that the united states drug war has caused a lot more damage than it has helped and it hasn't reduced the amount of drugs being consumed or sold really at all. Oh, it's been a complete failure. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's done a lot of damage to the communities where, you know, where the drug war is actually happening, which are ones that are generally probably poverty stricken in the first place. But <clears throat> yeah, there's all kinds of problems with it. And the fact is people are going to use drugs. That's just, they have forever, all of human history, and they're not going to stop. They yeah. will continue to do it. So rather than trying to just convince everybody not to do it, which is a lost cause, it makes more sense to me to educate everybody on the truth about them, which is the pros and the cons, the, the, you know, the positive attributes of these chemical substances, and also all of the dangers associated with that. It doesn't make sense to infantilize adults and to make, treat them like children, like the government needs to tell you what you can do to make yourself feel better. This just doesn't make sense to me. Sure. But at the same time, it is dangerous. And, there, and I don't know anybody who hasn't had their life touched directly by drugs and alcohol, addiction, and all the problems associated with that. So that's a tricky, tricky area. And I don't know, this platform is, is a good place to kind of talk about that because it's so taboo. 
it's really hard to talk about in open public forums, but not so hard to do in my fort. Yeah, no, I definitely. That's definitely something I noticed uh, throughout the you know various episodes I've, I have listened to. Is uh, the honesty here is really refreshing. We're trying. Yeah, it's nice. Like, I mean, I'm an open book. You can ask me whatever you want, but uh, it's definitely nice to because you know we do need to have the conversation in this yeah. country and in this culture that we have. I mean, really around the world. I mean, drugs are you know not just an American thing. I mean. <laughs> London, I mean, UK is seeing a huge epidemic. It's obviously been a huge thing in, you know, across Asia and around the world, you know, in general. So it's definitely a conversation that needs to be had. It's a lot. It's a conversation a lot of us don't want to have. But, yeah. uh, I mean, people are unfortunately dying and, you know, we, we need to we need to do something about it. Yeah, it's yeah. And it's so tricky because to talk about it honestly is almost sometimes sounds like you're endorsing it. And it's it's not that, but it but it's to be honest. You have to accept that there are actual benefits to drugs. Otherwise, people wouldn't use them. It doesn't make any sense to think that they're all bad. Sure, uh, people would not pursue them if they were all bad. You know, drugs uh, they have a magical effect, and you know, people. I mean, my kind of stance on it is that we need to figure out what's causing the desire to want to do drugs and drink alcohol. Yes, I mean, fix the environment. Exactly. I mean, obviously, mental health in this country is, you know, I wouldn't say it's an all time low because we don't really know the statistics on that because mental health obviously is something we've only started to become aware of and something we've actually started to care about as a, as a society. It used to just be demons. Exactly. It was, that, that was easy to handle. Or you were just being a, a giant wuss and you didn't need to figure your life out. But that you know. was just like 10 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole new aspect of our, of our lives. And it's we're kind of at the uh, embryonic state of where we need to be, um, uh, you know, with, in, in regards to our mental health. But, you know, we got to start somewhere. So I'm glad we're making the steps. I completely agree. And I feel like we probably have a very similar outlook on that because I think I see a similar type of guy in you to myself. I'm a soft boy, you know. Yeah. I, I like to, you know, draw pictures, sing songs. Talk about my feelings. I'm one of those guys, and I think 100%. I, I think you are too. And yep. we were not raised by men who valued those those attributes. Yeah. And um, it's been interesting to become an adult, and and because w- when I was a kid, I would think like, oh, by the time I'm a grown up, I'm I'm not even gonna want to sing or you know do anything, uh, be in a play or anything. Because grown men don't do that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's not masculine. But I want to do it even more. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like now that I'm a grown up, I have skills and you know resources. I can do all kinds of stuff. I can start a podcast. And yeah, it's 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 cool. The world is coming around. Yeah. Is basically where I'm going with that. Um, I, I was getting off on a on a podcast like no, I, I was enjoying it. Where were we? Um, I think we were talking about my oh. stressful job. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So the you were talking about how you were the crew leader essentially for your diving outfit. Yeah. And that sounds like a lot of pressure. Like you might literally have the lives of your coworkers in your hands, and yeah. it sounds like a stressful situation. And is that part of the reason you got out? I mean, yeah. Um, I had a lot of, like I said, it was a great job and I made decent money and I saw the saw the entire country. But yeah, it was very mentally and physically exhausting. Like my current job, if I make a mistake, you know, people leave my restaurant upset. My dive job, if I made a mistake, like kids grow up without dads, you know, and yeah, the, that amount of weight it put on me. And I, safety was always my main concern, which kind of drove a lot of guys I work with a little crazy because I was so safety conscious. But 
Like, you, I always tell them, you know, you might you you think you don't want to die on this job, and I'm the only person in the world that doesn't want you to die more so because I can't live with that on my conscience. Yeah. <laughs> so it drove a lot of guys crazy, but I don't regret it. And thankfully, I had a damn near perfect uh, safety record, and nobody nobody got hurt under my watch. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, the, I think accidentally killing somebody be one of the worst things I can imagine doing. Yeah, I agree. It would ruin it would ruin me forever. Uh, that guilt would be hard to shake. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen the movie The Machinist? I have. That was a good one about all about that. Yeah. It's been uh, years, but I remember Christian Bale losing like 100 pounds. <laughs> yeah. That's what that movie got famous for yeah. was Christian Bale's freakishly thin figure. And then like a year later, he's in Batman. Right, yeah. But um, yeah, that guy's, he got jacked for that one. <laughs> but that movie was about like, he hits a little kid with his car. But you don't find that out till the end. Spoiler. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. But, it's been so long. Yeah. He like loses his mind and you don't know why until the very end of the movie. It like flashes to back in time when he runs over a kid and then he's like oh that's why he went crazy because of the guilt and right. he, he didn't get caught and that's the thing you would almost want to get caught if you if you did that like otherwise your life is i mean either way just let's talk about not killing kids let's talk about <laughs> other things i mean i have a big conscious you know like if i Me too. step on a bug i mean i'll feel bad for a little bit but like God, i mean you know if i hurt, seriously hurt somebody ooh, yeah but um yeah i mean what was I going to say? Um, oh, yeah. But let's go and stay on the stress thing. So, yes, like, yes. Uh, do you take active measures to reduce stress in your life? This is something I put off for a long time in my life. But I've recently, I've, I've, been, seeing, I've been seeing a therapist and I've been taking, I'm sober now. And I've been taking the, taking the necessary steps I need, to, need in my life to better myself and just make things overall more enjoyable. So. That's great. Yeah. It, it feels great. So um, when you say you're sober, does that mean that you were struggling with that in the, before that and you decided to cut it out as, as because it had become a problem? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but I was an alcoholic for about nine years. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, nobody did. <laughs> nobody did. Um, I, I mean, looking back, realistically, I was probably an alcoholic since the day I started drinking. Actually, I don't know if you remember this yet, but the first time I ever got drunk was with you. Did you fall in a river? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I fell Gosh, in the ravine. I fell in the fucking river. <laughs> I was thinking about that on the way down as well. And I was like, I think the first time I ever got drunk was with that Jeffrey Nesbitt guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, man. No, I, I didn't realize it was going to ruin the next nine years of your life. It's all your fault, Jeff. <laughs> um, I was telling that story to Melissa last night because that's, um, that was a fun night. <laughs> that was I remember the time. next day, your dad um, like pulling me aside and sitting me down on the couch and interrogating me about it. Really? Yeah. I don't think I ever heard that. Yeah, it was really uncomfortable. Oh, what? He got drunk in high school, too. Like. Well, it was it was really because um, your sister had come with us. She was visiting that day. Yeah, I remember and, that. Yeah, and she came and we all drank. And <laughs> we had fun. It was yeah. fun. I <laughs> yeah, there were, yeah, that part will cut out. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, funny. I didn't tell him about that, though, so it's okay. Well, that's good. He probably would have thrilled you. <laughs> yeah, probably. I wasn't about to do that. God uh, damn it, Jeff. Your dad is big, and he was scary. He um, still is, but yeah, not as much. But yeah, well, now I'm not as afraid. But no, I've always, I've always really liked your dad. I, we keep talking about him. I don't, I, um, I don't care. Yeah, he's a solid dude. No, he is. He's just a big. He's a big softy. But the, our dads grew up in a time of transition for masculinity. It's mm -hmm. not the same thing it used to be. It can't be. It, it couldn't survive in this world. That whole idea where just like the man's in charge, 
The man is responsible for the decisions. The man is the one who, so that sets you up to not be able to show weakness, to not be able to show vulnerability. Yeah. We, we don't live in that world anymore. We don't have to act like that. We can show weakness and vulnerability. I don't, I don't care if the world knows I'm a you know, little bitch. Yeah, hey, I'm right there with you. I'm, I try, I act like a tough guy, especially with the cancer thing and all that, but like, I, I'm a big, yeah, I'm freaking Man, out. I wanted to cry hearing that story. That's <laughs> so, I, I cry all the time. I'm not a tough guy. I, I just, I'm, I'm just not, yeah. but um, until I need to be, you know, yeah. and that comes up and then that's the thing. I used to, when I was younger, I would try to will myself into being that guy. Like uh, I would like sit there and fantasize about people bullying me or so I could show them how tough I was and stand up for myself. Yeah. What the fuck is that about? I don't, that's, it's weird. Yeah. The whole like, alpha predator thing or it's alpha societal male. pressure. Yeah. Um, and I, I never was that guy. Um, and I, I've accepted it now. It's like, I don't even think about it. It doesn't even cross my mind. But we are still animals, and when some shit happens that triggers that primal masculine energy, sure. then you're like, oh, this is what they're talking about. There is still parts of us that are just animal, and that's kind of cool. I actually kind of, I actually kind of value that. I think that it's cool that, that that's still in there, and, and we're still men no matter yeah. what. I mean, I'm not ashamed to be a man. I mean, masculinity, this world needs masculinity, and... Men have a lot to offer to the world, and you know it's not something I'm ever ashamed. I'm not something I'm ashamed of. It's nothing I will ever be ashamed of. But you know, obviously, in this day and age, we live in a world where people are trying to find out who they are and how they want to express themselves, and that's just something that we need to we need to cater to because it's something that's very important. So, but yes, yeah, I mean, I guess we're to my. Yeah, so I guess I'll put it out there. Yeah, I, I was struggled with drinking for a long time. Oh, yeah, let's get into that. That's a good topic area. Yeah, I mean, I'm sober now. April 18th will be a year, something I'm very proud of. And, I mean, sobriety is a gift that keeps on giving. And, you know, it's not, I mean, I'll, I'll put it out there as well. I'm also not planning on being sober the rest of my life. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to quit to show myself that I could do it. Yeah. And that I do have control over my life because I didn't for so long. But, you know, I just, getting drunk every day like I was doing for years just sounds exhausting and it's just I, I know I'm never going to go back to that that Cooper how much know. were you drinking I mean this is a kind of also a crazy story I drank a lot and my dive job was so stressful and you know I had a pretty traumatizing childhood which I had a lot of PTSD from and I had a lot of weight and you know a lot of stuff buried inside of me and you know drinking was kind of the way that I put another scoop on it Exactly, yeah. It up. And, you know, feeling numb is a lot better than feeling like shit. And that's what drinking offered me. And one day I sat down and I kind of did the math and I pulled my phone out. And I guess I'll do it now. And where is my phone? You and played that song. It should be around here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here it is. Okay. So I did the math and I estimate I got legitimately wasted three times a week. That's, that's a lot. And since I drank so much... I, my tolerance was so high, I had to drink a lot in order what to get... What was your drink? Shitty beer, Rainier, Miller, you know, like crap. So you were fat too. I Yeah, I definitely I definitely have lost a lot of weight since I stopped drinking. I'm not not there just yet. I, I got some more pounds I want to lose, but I do You look great, man. I appreciate That's it. That's the only reason I said you were fat because I could see you're clearly not now. Yeah, yeah I've definitely lost a lot of weight and I, I feel, I mean, more importantly, I feel a lot better. But I did the math and I, I would probably drink 16 beers in a sitting and that is so 16 th times th three times a week is 48 beers a week that's a lot of beers 
times, what is it, 52 weeks in a year, times 52, that's 2496, 2,500 beers a year. And I did that consistently for about 12 years straight. And I did the math, and I drank 29,952 beers in a little over a decade and change. 29,952 beers on the wall. <laughs> 29,952 beers. Yeah, that song's a lot less amusing when you realize you completely destroyed your life. <laughs> <laughs> By the end. Yeah, so, and when I saw that number, I just, like, bursted into tears, like, oh, my God, what have you fucking done to your life and your body and your mental state? Like, this is you, not okay. Your cells had to metabolize every bit of that toxin. Yeah. Out. It's poison. It really is. And it's, but it's, I mean, it's just like everything else. Like, it, the dose makes the poison. And, and how much exposure is really what determines how toxic and how lethal it could be. Um, but that chronic exposure is just dangerous there's there's no getting around it yeah and i just realized if i continue drinking this way i was going to be dead by 40 like the human body is an amazing piece of machinery and it can withstand a lot of abuse but it's not built to drink sixty thousand beers in two decades yeah especially when you're attacking the basically the, the cleanup like the, the liver cleans everything out sure keeps, keeps you going yeah I, was, I mean that was and i just got to like a really toxic headspace and I was just like, well, I'll just quit when I get a DUI or I'll just quit when I have a seizure or I'll just quit. When until, you have to. Uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll, you know, till I'll quit when I lose my job or I'll quit till I ruin all my relationships and I'll just, I'll just ruin my life and then I'll quit. You're and now, waiting for rock bottom. Exactly. And that's just a really toxic mindset I was in. And, it's so common, man. It's so common. People don't even realize that they're in that mindset. They just think that they're fine, but they're like, they're really waiting for that boot to drop waiting for that thing to happen that where they can't ignore it anymore. Yeah. I've been in that same situation. Really? Where I'm just like, well, like, I, my addiction's not that bad. I'm getting by just fine. I'm doing great in school. You know, I'm, I'm competitive in my sport. Like, I have good relationships. No one really seems to know that I'm secretly fucked up all the time. Sure. Um, I'll just keep doing it. And it doesn't work. Because not only are you not living honestly, which is a huge problem. Like, if you're living a lie it's it's gonna catch up with you at some point it's not it's not good not and not for any moralizing reason but just for for literally with your your connection with reality becomes altered when you're trying to live a lie that you're even telling yourself like that yeah. i'm fine i agree so yeah it's it's a good thing that you realize that yeah it, i mean i try to quit for a hundred times i i would pour the liquor i would pour my liquor bottle down the drain and the next day i'm going to the liquor store to buy more and it's just i just couldn't do it and i I mean, the, my, the woman I was seeing at the time was just kind of fed up with it, understandably so. And I just realized, like, I got to stop. Like, I got to, I'm going to, I'm going to die. Like, I'm literally going to drink myself to death. I'm going to go to sleep one day in a pile of empty beer bottles and I'm not going to wake up, you know, like. So, ironically, it was like one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, but it was probably the easiest, the, the easiest decision I've ever had to make. Because you knew you had no choice. I had no choice, yeah. So um, I'm going on a year now. I mean, I picked a hell of a year to do it through a pandemic. and Yeah. Did you have a little free time? Yeah. I mean, I, I was laid. I mean, when I got back from Africa, I was laid off for a couple months. Or I, not really laid off because I didn't really lose my job. Um, but I I, um, I had a couple months. And, you know, I, I mean, this was, I take a lot of pride in knowing that there's been a lot of times where I could have just gone got a 12 pack and just hid locked myself in my room and got wasted but you I, could be doing that right now man yeah because it's it's legal it's everywhere mm -hmm. it's shoved in your face mm -hmm. so yeah that that's you have to continuously make the right choice and working at a bar doesn't help oh yeah 
but I mean, I've I've stuck to it. I haven't had a drop. I haven't done anything. No smoke, nothing, and uh, it, it feels great. Working at a bar might actually help. You see a lot of sad drunks in bars. Yeah, it might set an example, but you also see people having fun, and it's nice to be part of that. It's just hard. That whole thing is hard. Being a human is hard, but it's especially hard when you have chemical dependency issues, yeah. which a lot of us do. Yeah, I agree. I mean, a lot of my friends are probably alcoholics, and they don't even realize it, but, you know, everybody's different. There's no, I have nothing against drinking. I have nothing against, you know, doing harm. I mean, the lesser, more potent drugs. I have nothing against cannabis or, you know, if you want to pop some Molly here at a music concert on occasion, I guess that's fine, but, you know. I, but it just wasn't for it, it, it wasn't for me in that sense, and I just couldn't control myself, and that's something mm -hmm. I had to learn as a human. Yeah, and honestly, it sounds like you're you have a very healthy outlook about the whole thing because when you said, and I don't think I don't know or I don't remember how you worded it exactly, but you said something like that you weren't going to probably always be sober, like that you you're not you don't have a plan to never drink again. I think that's what it was. Yeah, and I hear that as maturity. Because that means you're not a black and white. You don't have to force yourself into a box to know that you're going to be okay. Which I think a lot of addicts do. Because they just make the decision like, hey, I clearly cannot handle this stuff. And when, I, when it's in me, I make decisions that I wouldn't make otherwise. So I just can't do it. Sure. Um, but I, I, I have to agree with you. I think that there is something to be said for allowing that possibility that there could become a utility for that tool which is really what it is uh later in your life uh, like in a time when it makes more sense in a time when you're not going to use it in a in a really unhealthy and damaging way like having a glass of wine with your future wife or yeah. you know a toast at your daughter's wedding like there are reasons to have alcohol sure. that will come up where you don't have to like keep yourself from it and you can get the benefits out of it if you can you know keep it to that yeah, I mean, I, I look forward to a day where I can watch a football game and have some beer with my friends. And but I, I just I can never see myself going back to like that toxic state I was in. And like, yeah, where that's just your routine. It just sounds exhausting. <laughs> sounds awful. Yeah. I mean, I'm so busy with school and work now, and it is, I don't even have time to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Which is nice. So. Yeah. So were you were you like getting drunk after work every day? Or often? Yeah, I mean, I mean, after my dive job, we would get to our hotel rooms, and I would eat food, and then I would go to the gas station down the street, wherever I was, and buy. I'd always buy twenty beers because I knew, you know, twelve wasn't going to be enough, and twenty would be enough. And yeah, I would just drink and drink and drink. And I have had twenty beers in one day, one time in my life. Um, and me and my buddy Jeff Hilton is that I was 17. Shout probably. out Jeff. Yeah, shout out Jeff Hilton. But we decided to invent a game uh, called 20 Beers. And you, you, the game goes like this. You get 20 beers, each participant, and then you drink them. And that's the game. <laughs> and it was really fun. Yeah, but... Until about beer 18. Yeah. And this is over about a three or four hour period. And... Um, I was, this was at my house and my, no one was there except me and Jeff. And I remember drinking the beers and we had these cool mugs that would like, it was like a, a big wide mug so that you could basically just drink a whole can of beer in, in two gulps because it's just so open. Sure. None of that can issue. 
And yeah, uh, the next thing I know, I'm at a party down the road, like a couple miles away from my house. And I was like having a heart to heart conversation with a kid that I had never spoken to before. And then the next thing I know, I'm walking down the road and this guy's pulling up next to me to pick me up. And I don't remember if I got in the car or not. But um, next thing I know, I am in my backyard. Laying in the grass, no pants. Isn't that crazy it happens like that? Yeah, it really is. And she's just like, what the fuck? Just a quick 20 beers and then, you know, everything unravels. That was my life, man, for nine years. That sounds exhausting. And also what sounds the most exhausting is just feeling like shit all the time. Yeah, the hangovers were definitely the worst part. God, I hate that about alcohol. You just don't feel good. Yeah, so I would be drinking three days a week, and then I'd be hungover. So I'd be hungover three days a week. So six days out of the week, I'm just like destroying my life. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it got pretty bad. But and then you're not even getting enough time to fully recover before the next one. Exactly. Yeah. So, but I I reached out to people that I loved and went to meetings and saw got started seeing a therapist and life is getting better every day. That's cool. Yeah. Well, so. I noticed when I decided to get harmful chemicals out of my life. So, like, I, I was pretty addicted to pain pills um, for a couple of years. Sure. And <clears throat> they, it, it was off and on. It was a lot, my, the access I had to them really dictated how bad my addiction was. I never wanted it to become my identity. I didn't, I, I didn't it, it like, I did not want people to know. I did not want it to become part of, like, what I was seen doing sure so i was really careful about that and thank god because that kept me out of those places like the places where you'd hang out to wait because you heard some guy was coming with pills like you you're not gonna hang out there if you don't want to get kicked off the crew team like you're not you're not gonna hang out there if you don't want your girlfriend who doesn't do drugs or see or doesn't want you to do drugs to see your car there like you know what i mean mm -hmm. you I kept parts of my life. You become two different people. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I meant about the dishonesty thing, living a lie. Yeah. It's just like, you start to realize like you're a piece of shit. Like yeah. I'm lying to my, my family. I'm lying to people who I love the most in the world. Um, for what? Just so I can not feel shitty, basically. You just want to feel good. Mm -hmm. And there are other ways. And really, I'm realizing now that a lot of it is how it's managed and the education surrounding these chemicals and how that's, you know, done. Sure. The way the system's set up right now with the criminality involved, it adds this whole extra layer of, of difficulty, which probably kept me from getting way too deep. Oh, and yeah. <clears throat> when I eventually decided this is not for me, I, I got to just stop. And I realized there was a big void because I'm like, well... I was using this time before to like procure drugs and now I can, you know, meditate and, and not, not just can, I had a void. I needed something to make myself feel good. Like the, my pacifier was these drugs and I had to find something new to fill that space. What is your thing? Well, when I first got sober, I bought a bicycle and <laughs> I rode probably 5,000 miles in two months. Like wow. I was on that thing every single day. Like a road bike? Yeah, I bought a road bike in Seattle, not far from where I was living at the time. There was a 50-mile-long trail, and I would just cruise that hours on end, and that helped a lot. That's yeah. exactly what I'm talking about, just, yeah. like, replacing bad habits with good ones. Yeah, and, and now that I'm in school, um, that's, like, really put—it really gives me something to concentrate on, and it really— 
gives me something to look forward to. I do look, I do look forward to graduating eventually and having a, a nice career. And, you know, that just kind of, that gives me hope. I didn't have a lot of hope beforehand, like diving. I was, all right, well, I figured I was gonna do this the rest of my life. Yeah. And it was just like, as fun as it was and as much as I loved it and how thankful I am for that, you know, entire aspect over that entire chapter of my life, it was just very stressful and it didn't give me a whole lot of hope. And, but now school and, you know, I'm just looking towards the future, essentially. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? 10 years, uh, I'm, well, I'm going, I'm in, I'm in a nursing program at the moment. So um, I'm, that's why I'm in school. Well, I, I guess I'm in school for two things, really. I'm in, uh, plan on applying to both a nursing program and a dental hygiene program. Mm. So uh, they're both very competitive, but thankfully their, their prereqs are pretty much the same. There's only mm -hmm. a couple, two classes off. So I plan on doing the required coursework for both programs and applying to both. I'm hoping, hoping to get into the dental hygiene um, situation. It's very competitive, like I said, but thankfully my grades at the moment are up to snuff, and uh, I do plan on getting in eventually. I mean, that's that's got to keep your eye on the prize. That sounds like a good, a really good gig. Yeah, like they get paid very well. They're respected. They their job's easy. Yeah, it's like that sounds like a good job. Yeah, so I hope. I mean, five in ten years from now, God, I mean, I want to be a homeowner. I mean, again, since I traveled so much and was able to do all these things, I'm definitely, you know, there's, there's an opportunity cost to everything. And I should be probably a couple years into a mortgage by now. And I should have a lot, some more stability. And I am, you know, I am 31 and going to college again. And I am a little bit behind in that regard. I mean, I don't think I'd ever I wouldn't call behind. You're, you're ahead, man. You, you, so? you already did it. And you're doing more. Like, it, you're going back to school. You're not starting from scratch. The... Uh, and even if you were, that's really not a big deal either. Whether that, that's the way the world is now. Like, millennials have three careers. It's, it, I think the average really is three. Really? Um, people of our generation tend to change jobs drastically. Like, big, big changes. So I, I think you're, you're pretty normal for your cohort. I hope so. <laughs> but it sure probably feels awkward and feels like you're surrounded by kids at the school. Well, it's all online. Oh, yeah, with COVID, so I haven't, I haven't even met a professor yet. But uh, I just finished, actually, a couple days ago, I finished my my first year. Congratulations! Thank you. That's a lot of reading. Yeah, man, it's this program's pretty brutal. It's kind of it's designed to weed out the weaklings, and it's it's designed to break you down like mentally. Mm -hmm. And like I'm I'm sticking with it. I'm I'm trying to be tough about it, but working full time in school full time is pretty pretty tough. But you know, what what kind of hours do you work? Uh, as I am a manager, I have to work a certain amount of hours to get my benefits. So I'm working anywhere between 30 and 35 hours a week, which it doesn't seem like a lot. But when I have 15, 20 hours of biology homework a week alone, yeah, starts to get kind of. Uh, and do you work mostly at night? Uh, I I usually uh, work in the mornings. Um, actually, I work tomorrow morning. I, I'm driving back tomorrow tomorrow morning early to go to, to go to work. Um, but yeah, I usually work weekends mornings, and then I usually work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights. I usually have Thursday, Fridays off. So. Yeah, that's a very busy schedule. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's exhausting, but you got you got to put the hard work in in this world to get anything out of it. And so, I mean, it's not gonna be forever. It's tough, but I'll, I'll get there. Yeah, you will. And I totally agree that I think the hard work is like the most important thing that you can do, and mostly because we don't know what's gonna happen. So if you're working, you know, whether that, you know, be whatever whatever it is that makes you feel fulfilled, do the work. It's worth it. Yeah, you gotta work hard. What's gonna happen? Especially our generation. We need to. You really gotta put work in, and you know, I'm really worried about 
especially my generation is like we we're not really saving for retirement we're not really looking forward to the future i mean none of us can really afford to buy houses like we're kind of setting ourselves up for failure in the long run and this is something i've done myself i'm guilty kinda of it feels too like it you know like i just we need to make the necessary steps and we need to take action now. So, cause I do plan on retiring when I'm 60, 65. I don't want to be 80 years old and still working. Like that's my next goal. After I do graduate, I want to buy a home. And then the only thing I'm really concerned about after that is getting enough money so I can retire. So. Yeah. Are you putting any away? Do you have any nest eggs saved up that you're start adding to? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, that's actually one positive of the whole COVID situation is I really, um, I mean, I've always kind of had a passion for investing, but I have taken the time. I mean, especially when I was sitting at home for months on end before I actually, before I would eventually get back to work, I was learning how the stock market worked. Oh yeah. Me too. I learned that in the last year. It's also. good to know. It's yeah, man. It really is. They should be teaching that in high school. Tell me about it. <laughs> I don't know why they don't. Because it's a crockish. I mean, we were in. I mean, wood shopping is a great skill, and it's something. Yeah. But like, I'd much rather have learned what you know, uh, an IPO was, or yeah. you know, how to invest my money wisely. Public offering. Yeah. Um, or initial public offering. I mean, that's what. Yeah, that's yeah. what I meant. No worries. Uh, the, I'll cut that out. The uh, <laughs> the wood shop stuff. I I loved wood shop. Yeah, but yeah, that's a great point. Like, how many kids do love wood shop? Yeah. Oh, actually, a lot of wood shop programs are cut. So I don't know. Maybe maybe there's just not enough classes at school. Maybe school needs to be redone. But I think senior year, like one cl- a set of PE, like all right, hey, here's how to invest. Yeah. Here's, here's how to retire. Here's what a Roth IRA is. Here is you know, here's here's the necessary steps you should take, and so you don't ruin your life in forty years. I do remember though having kind of a dismissive attitude towards that kind of stuff at at a younger age because I was poor. So I was like, I don't give a fuck what a Roth IRA is. I don't have any money. I can't even get a sandwich. Um, why are you telling me this? Go yeah. tell the guy with money. And I always felt like it was some kind of like a trick. Like, oh, obviously they're going to get a piece, whoever, whatever motivation they have to be telling me this right now. But it's not really true. Uh, the truth is investments are just smart to do. And yeah, and yeah it's not that hard. It's not that complicated. Now, uh, what you use? What, what app do you use? If you don't mind me asking, I use the Cash App. Cash App. Yeah, the motherfucking Cash App. Motherfucking. Yeah, I use a uh, SoFi. It's it's a good it's a good platform from what I've seen. Mm. Is that the one that does? Oh no, that's Acorn. I think that does little. You it every it rounds your uh, purchases up to the nearest dollar, and then yes. that money goes directly into the stock market. Yeah, I believe that's Acorn. Uh-huh. I just think stocks are something I think everybody should at least know about. Um, again, I mean, I'm not blaming anybody because I didn't know about this for a long time. But it's 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 fun. It's addicting. I mean, I've definitely have lost a lot of money this past couple mo- months. I'm sure pretty yeah, much everybody Tesla's has. In the shitter. Yeah, my Tesla stock took a nosedive. I'm a I'm a I invest primarily in the um, tech. So, Me too. Yeah, I have pulled most of my tech out though and put it in Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Yeah, I own I own some. Yeah, that's fun to watch. It is. <laughs> it, I wish this, I mean, this is coming out in a, a couple of weeks, but it's 50 right now or 51 this morning. Crazy. Uh, it's a good time to buy. <laughs> it's building up for another bull run. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, so I've, I mean, it, but it's, 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 it's time in the market, not time in the market. This is a 20-year process. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole GameStop thing. I, I kind of got Did concerned. Did you get in on that? I had that a little bit, but I mean, it was funny. Me and my buddy Rob, who kind of initially got me into investing, he 
we were talking about buying GameStop when it was like 340 because, you know, I'm a big, obviously, anybody knows me knows I love video games and I know the market pretty well. $3.40 or $340? $3.40. It was like dirt cheap. Down the bottom. But this was back when like they were considering bankruptcy and it didn't look good. And this was the reason they were so cheap. And but we were thinking, oh well, this we can just buy a hundred dollars, you know, why not? And then looking back, I would have made hundreds of thousands of dollars. But yeah. but you know that that's how it goes. It's uh, you know once you read the headline, it's already too late. But I just that's you right. know, I just think out of the whole GameStop thing, a lot of people think they're gonna make make millions overnight. Are you on the Reddit stock market? I am. Okay, so you knew the GameStop thing was going to happen? Yeah, I've been on Wall Street bets for a long time. Actually, uh, I never saw that initial post, uh-huh. um, but I was initially after it happened, I was watching it all very closely, and I've been mm-hmm. on Wall Street bet for years, and that was definitely the craziest thing I've ever seen on that sub. But I didn't. I, I see. I'm not on Wall Street bets. I didn't I, until after. I, now I'm checking. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I saw. I so I do most of my research just through regular periodicals and newspapers, Wall Street Journal, like the traditional sure. stock market stuff, and they don't know shit about no. Bitcoin. They don't know shit about this the new financial world that we're living in, where you and me have power for the first time ever. The little guy has mm-hmm. some power in the market, and that's other than strictly consumerism, where what we buy determines the market fluctuations. This is legitimate power coming yeah. from these fractional share investors. Sure. Like the little guys. And there's just a lot of them and more all the time. It's a really exciting time. It's one that I would, a lot of people that are new in investing, please proceed with caution. Like Absolutely. You will lose your fucking ass if you hand it to them. But I think everybody should invest. It's smart to do. Let your money work for you. Let it grow with time, especially with this hyperinflation that we're looking at. I mean... If your money's sitting in a bank account, it's probably it's going it's going to lose value. I mean, it's losing value. It's safe there. It's not going to be fucked with. But and you have a, of course anybody has a possibility of losing money on the star, on the on the market. But it's I think everybody should do it in in moderation. I mean, I've thrown a lot of money at it over the years, especially lately. Um, I mean, you got to buy the dip, of course. Yeah. But it's definitely something I have a lot of passion about, and I, I, I can talk about stocks for six hours straight. What's your, what's your big stocks? What are you really into? Um, well, my best stock, my best performing stock right now would probably be Boeing. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I've, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I lot. stopped watching Boeing in October. I sold all my Boeing. Uh, How has it been doing? It's been doing really well, actually. Um, I did some research, and I really, you know, they just made a new order for some planes. And with the market coming back with travel, I realized, you know, now would probably be a good time to get in. And I, I bought five shares a couple months ago, and I've already made, I think, 20-something percent return. That's fantastic. Which obviously could disappear overnight, but... Um, and Boeing is a steady earner, too. It's it's a, it's a one of those slow goers. It just kind of creeps along but oh, yeah. they have government contracts that's the thing if, i mean my philosophy is I, I usually only buy blue chip stocks microsoft tesla apple nvidia Give me facebook i do own facebook i think i usually i my, i usually buy five shares of everything i own and then mm-hmm. i move on to save up a month and then i buy my five more shares of everything i own it's kind of how i like to do it i don't like to own just one share of something which i know is not the best way to go about it but i'm just kind of like my ocd no dude, to me. if you can afford to do that that's the way to go for sure yeah. how many amazon shares i own i, I own three I, I sold one i own two at the moment damn that's still man those those are not cheap yeah no yeah. It, it's it's been nice uh, um, I'm, I mean, my philosophy is I only bl- buy blue chip. It's more expensive to get in, but it's it's a lot less risky in my opinion because if Amazon's gonna hopefully be around forever, and if Amazon's yeah. not around, the chances are the world's probably ended, and I have a lot more worries than the, you know the stock market. So yeah, 
But. Yeah, Tesla has been my favorite just because I okay. got in in March of 2020. So it's like, yeah, it was beautiful, man. Yeah, uh, that was a really really fun nine months or yeah. so, ending January 26th, <laughs> which I should have sold on that fucking day. Um, it will live in infamy. I I haven't been buying this dip because I feel like it's not actually a dip. I feel like it's market stabilization. Sure. Oh yeah. Uh, consolidation, or you know, just leveling out. It, I bet you it's going to settle below the high. I, oh, don't, yeah. I don't think it'll go back up to 875 or wherever it peaked. But that's okay. I mean, I, I like market stabilization. I mean, it was, it's, been a whole, it's been a circus this entire year, and that's just not stable, and it's just, no. it's just not sustainable, more, more importantly. It and makes people lose faith in the market. Yeah, yeah. And I, I look, when I buy a Pacific share, when I look into a Pacific, I, I want to see consistent growth. If I see a roller coaster on your returns through, through the years, I'm, I'm going to be rather hesitant. I want to see Microsoft and Facebook. And um, actually, I got into the Airbnb IPO. And oh, cool. That, that was a, that's been a great stock for me. And yeah, I, I, I just, I want to see slow, steady, consistent growth over time. Because again, this is a 20 year process. And you know, this portfolio I have now is going to pay off my mortgage eventually one day is what I'm planning on it. So I'm yeah. not I'm not going to buy a sports car. I don't plan on, you know, doing a whole lot of it besides either setting up my retirement, helping my retirement or pay off my mortgage. Yeah, that's a great plan. Yeah. And so are do you get a lot of dividends? Are you are you because I know that a lot of the blue chip stocks are dividend producing? Yeah, they're so low, though. God, yeah. I've only made Thirty, forty dollars, I think, over over yeah. the span of owning all my stocks. I mean, there's a lot of people that have hundreds of thousands of dollars in the market, and their dividends pay their monthly bills every month, which That's is fine. That's what I would love yeah, to do. There's nothing wrong with that. Free it's up just, your life to do whatever you want. I don't plan on getting there just yet. I mean, when I do end up getting a mortgage and buying a home, I plan on paying it off, and then pretty much the rest of my money is going to going into investing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I've I've just really in the last year started getting into it. And it's so much fun. I, did, I didn't realize it was going to be fun. It is. It's like a game. Yeah. It's the app. It's the fact that they essentially did gamify it. Like, you pull out that app. It's colorful. It's got big buttons. It's, yep. it's like, it's not a spreadsheet. I'm not sitting at Edward and Jones, you know, uncomfortable, thinking I'm about to be taken. Yeah. It's just, I have all the power. In my hand, and it's just really convenient and easy, and I can do it 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. I don't know why the stock market is closed ever. Right, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. That's what I love about crypto is it never closes. Um, I, yep. I can sit up all night in my insomnia-stricken mind and just watch my money grow. It's yeah. cool. I like Litecoin a lot. Litecoin, uh, I recently moved, and I sold a good portion of my Litecoin, and that helped pay uh, pay for my move, so that was nice. Is Litecoin one of the hard forks from Bitcoin? I, I, I don't know much about it. Uh, I'm not quite sure about that. It's, it's like top five as far as like the popularity goes. I mean, it goes Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then... I mean, Cardano is a pretty uh, up and coming one. Uh, a lot of, I've, I've heard a lot of rumblings about that, but Litecoin's up there. Yeah. Um, it's, is it? It's not one of the stable coins, though, is it? Where it's pinned to the dollar, like Bitcoin Cash. You know what? To be honest, I don't know. Um, I probably should. <laughs> I, I bought quite a bit, but uh, it, it, it had steady returns, and I just, I'm pretty sure it was the one that that was came from Bitcoin, like out of Bitcoin to solve some Bitcoin problem. I sure. could be wrong about that, but um, I, I think so. Like it's not as data heavy as Bitcoin or something like that. It solves one of the energy problems or I don't remember, but yeah. Um, have you heard of Polkadot? It's a, it's a newer one. It's probably, they launched like last summer, but it, it's 
another one of those up and comers that was like cents to get in when they launched and now it's it's a few dollars but which doesn't seem like huge growth but if your thing is 25 cents and now it's five dollars that's an enormous growth oh yeah even though it's still not a lot of money um but yeah they do uh it's been a while now i'm not gonna try to explain it i don't i'll fuck it up but the it's it's a one that I've been watching. I was I was so close to getting into Ethereum when Elon Musk was still like when he was like the Ethereum guy. Yeah. Well, that didn't last. <laughs> I know, right? Now he's all he's in bed with Bitcoin and Dogecoin. Yeah, do, as Doge. a fucking troll. <laughs> I, imagine how many people put money in that just because he he was talking about it. It's crazy yeah, he sends one tweet and like i lose hundreds of dollars like, yeah. on my tesla stock like damn it elon yeah but no I, I love elon he's a he's a mad scientist but the world needs some mad scientists so. yeah people like put so much pressure on him to be uh something he's not like he's a human being yeah he can be goofy and he can say shit just to get a reaction out of people just like everyone else like i know he has a lot of responsibility because the financial world is basically resting on his shoulders. He's he's such a huge part of the economy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I like that he's kind of a, tw a Twitter troll. I mean, when he smoked weed on Joe Rogan, like the entire world stopped. And I was yeah. like, and he, and and Tesla lost money. I was like, well, he doesn't operate heavy machinery. He's a billionaire. He owns a company. Like he can smoke some weed. It's not a big deal. But you know. Yeah, I'm so just here in Washington, like. I, it didn't even phase me. Everyone smokes weed on Joe's show. Yeah, right. It's just that's just part of the show. It didn't didn't even phase me. And then I saw this the stock drop like six percent or something immediately. Yeah. It's like, huh? What a bunch of bitches. I know, right? But that's the market. I guess it kind of it goes against us, you know. Like it's it's definitely it is market manipulation. It's definitely shady shit going on. I mean, there always has been. I mean, there I, never won't be. Yeah, but the whole GameStop thing definitely showed me like they're scared of us. Yeah. And there, and and there's back doors, and we have power in numbers, and you know, I just kind of wish us as a society would just stop taking so much fucking bullshit from these people. Like, the, yeah. you know, it's 99 percent of us versus the one percent of them, and I just kind of wish a lot more people would join together, and we can, you know, change the world. But it's yeah. so hard. It's so hard just to get people to agree. Yeah. In the first place, uh, that to come from the same spot is is hard. Let alone get them to actually organize and do anything. People are really fucking complicated. And I, I don't, I just finished editing a podcast with Martha Williams, who's a climate activist. Oh, cool. And I, I was almost getting tired of hearing myself talk about it because every question I have is just like, but how the fuck do you get people to listen? How the fuck do you get people to care? How do you get people to do anything unless they have to? I just don't see it. I mean, I only got a certain number of years in this world, and I don't plan on spending any more than I have to, you know, concerned with things I can't control. But yeah. that being said, uh, you know, if you're out there, I, I recommend getting, at least learning how the stock market works, learning how the economy works, you know, making some phone calls. Chances are you're paying too much for your car insurance or you're buying things you shouldn't buy, and, you know, you should you be... Probably subscribed to five services you don't use. Exactly. Yeah, and I just, you know, I, I that's one thing I've always... I've. This past year, I've tried to really focus on the, fin the financial side of my life. I've tried to, I've improved my credit score significantly. And where are you I, at? What is your credit score? Seven forty-five. Woo! Yeah, yeah. No, uh, it was. I mean, compared to what it was, because cancer really 
blew through my finances considerably. So, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, so I definitely, my my credit score in my entire financial life took a nosedive after that whole fiasco, but uh, I'm slowly restoring it, I'm nursing it, and you know, I just, I, got, I have a retirement now, and I'm taking the steps I need to take in order to better my future. So. It feels weird, huh, to suddenly be adults and be like, oh yeah, we're going to eventually need to retire, it's not that far away. No. It, it comes up real fast. Yeah. I just, it's weird, I still feel like a kid. Yeah, right, yeah, me too. <laughs> But I, I really didn't ever, ever think about retirement in a real practical way until even even like a couple of years ago, really, because it just still seems so far away. Yeah. I don't I think it took getting like comfortable in my life to be able to expend that energy to look that far ahead. Just like being safe and comfortable. Yeah. I mean, money is not everything, but it's. It's very important, and you know, it doesn't buy happiness. But I, but I rather cry in a mansion, is what they always say. So, I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't think I. I don't think I feel that way. No, I would rather be happy in a hut than cry in a mansion. Uh, fair enough. I I don't know. I feel like after a month, the mansion is the same. Like you know what? You ever notice that yeah. when you move somewhere? Like when I was a kid, we lived in a pretty crappy house. It was small, and you know, it was fine. I liked it, but it was a mobile home. A single wide mobile home for six people, and I would fantasize about how great life would be when we finally got out of the mobile home and into a house. And it's exactly the fucking same. Yeah, it's exactly the same. And the first week is really great, and you're like, oh whoa, there's, you know, there's a hallway and it, whatever. But you know what houses have. Yeah. And uh, a week later, you're just it's just home again. I mean, the thing is, you're. If you, if, that's, a, that's a good point because if you let it consume because there's always going to be a bigger, better house. And like, if you never are satisfied with where you're at, you'll never be satisfied in life, really. So. Yeah. It, the, that's what it is. The game is about finding how to harness that, your dissatisfaction, and not let it consume you and make you bitter. But also, don't, don't push it away and don't just be satisfied with what you have completely because then you're not going to go anywhere. You know what I mean? You got you to gotta use that as like, like a beast. You got to tame it. Harness it, ride it yeah, to the next phase of your life. That was kind of one thing I learned is like I was always looking for the future and my travels. And like I was I, – I, I didn't really realize I wasn't really appreciating the moment I was in. And that's something I've definitely tried to learn and inspire, aspire to do lately is just, I should just appreciate where I'm at currently. And, you know, the good things will come here eventually. But I got to appreciate and recognize what I have now. So Yeah. Because otherwise, why are you even looking to the future? Because when you get there, you're not going to be there. You're exactly. going to be looking to the next future. Yeah, I do that with food. <laughs> I really do. Like I'll, I'll be ravenously hungry, especially late at night, and I'll like go in the pantry and I'm, um, I have food in my mouth, <laughs> but my eyes are scanning for <laughs> yep. like what am I going to eat next? And I'm already fantasizing about it. I'm just like, well, I could just eat the thing I'm already eating, and be happy with that. But yeah humans man we're, we're a crazy bunch we really are but yeah we, we should talk traveling i got a question a travel question for you where if you can go anywhere jeff where would you go Ooh, that's tough so i have some thoughts on that because i've i've thought about that a lot i would love to go to places with really old cultures like greece or you know spain atlantis um some of the stuff in south america seems pretty cool you know, any of the ones like with old civilizations that are not there anymore. Yeah. But there's just so much in the United States 
that's not like that, but it's just cool and it's a lot closer. And I would like to see the United States. So I kind of want to do what you did. And I would like to see a lot more of this country first. Grand Canyon, Yellowstone, Yosemite, mm-hmm. um, the, the hits, you yeah. know, the big parks and things like that. Um, I'd like to see the Pacific Garbage Patch. Um, I'll do that from a helicopter. Is that, is that the giant land, like landmass of trash? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a sight. Just out of curiosity, I want to see what, how big it really is. Right. I've heard it's like the size of Texas. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Holy shit. And it's just where three currents cross, so it creates that cyclone there in the middle, yeah. like the Bermuda Triangle, and it just wow. gathers. And that's... it's thick. It's like, it's like thick, thick. No shit. Yeah. Wow, that's depressing. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> but also kind of convenient because we don't got to look at it. True. It's and all it, just it, in one spot. It cleans itself up. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's the earth's drain. Yeah, that's funny. Um, but yeah, but... no, I mean, that's, that's not a bad answer. The, the United States is a, an amazing place and we have such a wide, you know, geography of things. And, you know, you can be the deserts of Nevada to the forests of the Northeast. And, I love it all. I just, yeah. I'm really excited to be here. And I think I, I have a pretty healthy perspective on time. I realize that we're not here for very long. And I, I personally don't think this is the main show. Um, I know a lot of people do, but, and that's, that's cool. But I, I don't, I think this is going to seem like a really short dream when it's all over. And you're like, oh, fuck. Can't believe I forgot and thought that was real. Right. Um, and now I'm awake and to whatever that's going to be. Who knows? But I don't know. I'm open to possibility. We'll see. But while I'm here, I would like to see some cool shit. Yeah, I think you... I think if I had to pick one, though, it'd be probably Yellowstone. You're, you've never been? I haven't. No. no it's, it's amazing. I've heard. It looks yeah. pretty cool. Also, well, it's terrifying. Been a couple. I've been there a couple of times. Yeah. I mean, it's probably going to be the end of the world eventually. So Yeah. <laughs> that seems like it. If, yeah. it. if it decides to go. That's, that's going to be the one, I think. But... Probably, hopefully not for a while. Yeah. What's your favorite existential threat that's going to wipe out humanity? What's the, what's, the big, what's the big one for you? I mean, the thing I want to happen is definitely zombies. Oh, yeah. I think me too, actually. Because now that I'm recently a gun owner, I actually have a, a way to combat the undead. What'd you get? Uh, well, actually, well, this year I, I bought an AR-15 and a, and a nice. pistol. Yeah. Nice. What kind of pistol? Uh, Smith and Wesson, they're just uh, little twenty twos. Oh, I mean, nice. Both. I mean, I wanted to start with something small and you know work my way up. I mean, guns are, no, are not toys, and this is something that have to be treated with a lot of respect and a lot Absolutely. of a lot of uh, you know you, you're holding something in your hands that has a lot of impact and can killing affect power. It. Yeah, it's a killing tool. That's what it's for. Exactly. Yeah, but uh, just because it's fun doesn't make it a toy. Exactly. I mean, guns and motorcycles. Yeah. They can be fun as hell, and there's nothing wrong with owning either. But you, if you don't treat them like with respect, and you don't treat them with the, what they really are, they can ruin your life. Yeah, pit bulls are in that category too. True. Yeah. Um, amazing creatures, but if you don't handle it correctly, you can lead to some problems. Exactly. But yeah, it's probably. I mean, zombies is what I want to happen, but that's everybody. But. Yeah. I mean, meteor. I mean, I, th- I think a meteor would be something we would we would. We would know about within like days of it actually impacting because our technology is great, but I mean those things fly so fast and yeah, they're coming at such ridiculous angles. Like I mean, I'm again, I'm no astrologist or astronomer, but that'd be pretty pretty crazy. Um, I think the uh, the zombies would be cool because it'd be like a long term thing. Uh, did you ever watch uh, Walking Dead? Uh, first couple seasons. That that's all that was good. Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> they didn't know how to wrap it up. That's what I. That's why I stopped. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I had the same experience, but I think I watched the first three seasons, and you could tell they're like starting to be like, well, 
what do we do now, I guess? We'll just hang out. But, yeah, right. Uh-oh, more zombies walking over here. Um, better get your crossbow. Also, lots of problems with the, the weaponry in that show. Really? Like, he never ran out of crossbow bolts or arrows or whatever they're called. D- Dale was his name? Yeah. 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 And that guy's southern accent was just terrible. Really? The, the cowboy hat guy. No, no offense, cowboy hat guy. I know you're a fan of the show. <laughs> um, Shout but, out yeah. Walking Dead. <laughs> Let's see. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm not one of those, like, the end is nigh people. Like, I don't think the world is, thankfully, probably going to end in my lifetime. You ever read the Book of Revelation? I have not. Check it out. Yeah. Shout out Book of Revelation. Shout out. It's in the Bible. But, uh, It's no. terrifying. Really? It sounds like a mushroom trip gone awry. <laughs> it's like creatures with multiple heads and, you know, all kinds of destruction. It's a guy's prophecy. So it's like this guy had a vision and then he woke up and wrote it down. Really, and it's it's some baffling shit, but um, it's kind of interesting. Like I was, yeah, I guess that's not. I'm not joking at all. I I, I was thinking it was a joke because it's funny that, um, but it actually is legit. Something I've read and was terrified by. So right, <laughs> yeah. I guess it's not a joke. Uh, but it's all about the end of the world, and right. yeah, I I definitely think that. God, I don't know if I do or not anymore. It's been a long time since I thought about it. But I, I grew up thinking that the world was ending. Like, uh, the church kind of pushes that idea that it, we're in the end times. And they'll, they'll reference the Revelation prophecies and, like, talk about how these are definitely the end times. And they'll pull up contemporary examples of sinful lives of the people of the world right now. But, I, I mean, it's going to end at some point. You know, yeah, yeah. everything does. Yeah. So it's going to be something that gets us. If I it's mean, not a meteor, it'll be the zombies. It's kind of it's not hard for our generation to kind of have a lot of doubt. I mean, we grew up with 9/11. Yeah. And then the, the year I graduated, the entire economy collapsed. Yeah, that's my first year as an adult. <laughs> and then rough we, time. We had the Iraq War and the war in the Middle East and like I mean, I I kind of think there is a reason why our generation is kind of so emotionally scarred and we have a lot of issues. I mean, every generation's like that. I mean, my dad grew up in Vietnam with Vietnam and, you know, Every generation has had significant hurdles and things they've had to get through, but like, it's like every every couple of years, and man, we're just getting punched in the gut by something or another. And now we yeah. have the pandemic, which obviously is affecting everybody, but it's hard to have some confidence in the world sometimes. Yeah, it is. It is. I almost have to just accept the the mess and just figure out. I mean, just really. Uh, it's not a very uplifting thought, but what I do is I just think of the best case scenario for outcomes, and then I also think of the worst case scenario for outcomes, and then I make a concerted effort to accept them both and everything in between so that I'm just like, God, whatever happens, I'm going to roll with it, so try to make it pleasant. <laughs> yeah, you don't really have a choice. I mean, it's kind of like drinking and cancer with me. Like, I didn't really have a choice. Like, it sucks, and this is a part of my life, and it's something I got to figure out, but if I don't, then I'm gonna die so he's literally life or death yeah so and and you came through yeah thankfully that's the thing man that would break a lot of people that i i wonder if it would break me like that is a really really hard thing that you went through and it's yeah it's just it's really impressive i appreciate it. it's really impressive because the like i said before you don't you don't carry a darkness about it with you 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 seem good like like i really think that this story will help people and if nothing else, it'll help them check their nuts in the shower and maybe save somebody's life. Check them often, gentlemen. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just gotta you just gotta roll with the punches. I mean, my whole life's been a, kind of a struggle, you know. But yeah, I, I mean, everybody that I don't, I mean, 
I mean, everybody has their own issues and own demons and all things, own, own things are going through. So I can't, you know, feel sorry for myself, but. Doesn't seem like you would do, like you do at all. It seems like your philosophy is based very much in accepting things that you can't change and moving forward with your life. Yeah, uh, I couldn't, couldn't say it better. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do, at least. I mean, you know, I, I, love, I, I joke about it all the time. Like, when I got my vasectomy, I, I asked the doctor if I could get half off since I only had one ball. <laughs> <laughs> he thought that was kind of funny. But, uh, funny. He just got a joke about it. I mean, I love a good cancer joke. I love a good cancer joke. And there's not, a, there's not enough good ones out there. Yeah. Dude, but... I love testicle jokes. So a, a <laughs> testicle cancer joke is probably great. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> But uh, no, I, I I commanded my my dive team to call me Captain Half Sack for, for the rest for the rest of my dive career. That was that was kind of funny. But. I bet that was kind of nice to get back uh, after all that. Yeah, it was. I mean, it it showed me a lot too. Like, did not really take shit from people. It's actually another reason why I quit my job because my boss is treating me like shit. Oh really? Yeah, and he was just a fucking asshole and. It was something I put up with because I loved my job and it gave me the opportunity to live the life I wanted to live. But after cancer, I just kind of realized like I was kind of done putting up with shit I didn't have to put up with. And Probably across the board, not just at work, but in, in your life in general. Especially myself, you know, like mm -hmm. I always say, don't take shit from anybody, especially yourself. And, you know, that's really great advice. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of realized and, you know, without cancer, I probably never would have gotten sober because I realized like how much I need myself and I need to, you know, you got to have self-love. Yeah. But and it's uh, so hard. Why is it so hard? I don't Because we're designed by social media and all this stuff to, you know, we're never good enough. You have to buy the new car and you have to get the new phone and you have to have the new makeup. And I like all that stuff, but yeah, yeah I don't need it to feel okay. You know, and that's one thing actually with, with my travels and my and social media. I always, I had a number of people walk up to me and always tell me like, oh, I wish I was living your life. and Then do it. I wish you, I wish I was you. And I was, I remember thinking to myself like, oh no, like this is not what I was expecting. Like I'm not doing this to like flex on Facebook. I'm not doing this to like show the world how, you know, the money I have and all these things. I'm just doing this because I want to travel the world, have new experiences and learn some more about myself. So that Pe was kind of hard to you. grapple with. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten some hate, you know. For, for traveling. Yeah. That's outrageous. I've had to be oh, it must be nice to you know, not have any problems and it must be nice to have the world just at your feet, you know, and I mean, thankfully 98% of the people out there have been really supportive and really happy to see the things I've been able to do, but. It would be so easy to respond to that and just, they took my nut. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. And it's, you know. It's and, not that nice. And I, you know, I killed myself for years working six days a week, trying to save up enough, enough money to go to school and graduate. And I graduated top of my class and I worked really hard to have the opportunity to have the, you know, to have the things I had. So, but exactly, everyone does. Like most people, really do. I know there are silver spoon people out there who don't have to work, and they still, you know, things are still easy for them. They have difficulties in other ways. Sure. Anytime I catch myself doing that, oh, must be nice shit. I stop immediately and redirect because it's it's toxic. Yeah. Uh, there's this psychological concept called I think it's relative disparity. But it's basically the game we all play where you compare your life uh, to those around you and to those that you see on TV or representations you see online or whatever. You look for people who have it better than you just so you can compare yourself and feel shitty. Exactly. You can do it both directions. Yeah. It's just something that if you pay attention to, you're like, oh, why am I all of a sudden out of nowhere thinking that I need to be the same as this person I've never met and see online, but they have a cool car that I like. So now I feel like I have to be the same as them. 
makes no sense. No, I agree. I already have a car, so I've, I can just think – instead redirect that thought to, man, I sure love having a car. It's so nice not to have to walk to work. Um, and if you just have little redirections like that all the time, that's how you get a hold of your mental health If unless you're, you know, batshit insane and those things don't work. Like there, uh, there are people who are just mentally ill beyond repair and oh, yeah. they need help. And that's, that's one thing. But I really thought for a long time that my brain was just wired to be sad and, and that I, I just felt depressed so much of the time that even when I wasn't depressed, it was just like never far from my attention. Sure. And I, I would just use that as a, as a way to pursue short term good feelings like drugs and things ways to get attention from people like making people laugh things like that quick quick fixes i never put any thought into long term setting yourself up for success Mm -hmm. which seems like you do that a lot thinking ahead looking to the future figuring out what you're going to need there and then you know build it yeah i mean i do in some regards but you know i put off my mental health for a long time and you know i had a really pretty traumatizing childhood and it's you know that's probably the main reason why I was an alcoholic. You know I was just dealing with a lot of things that I never knew really knew how to deal with. And what do you? Well, I mean we don't have to keep this in the podcast, but um, no. what parts like your parents' stuff? Yeah, I mean my parents. I mean I, anybody that knows me and knows my father knows that we had a pretty rocky relationship. And yeah, you broke the same windshield twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I still. He feel, talked about it for years. I still feel bad about that. But that was so fucking funny. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? There was a windshield. We drove all the way to Longview for something, but on the way back, we picked up a windshield for this big dump truck my dad had fixed up, and he had it in the back seat of that green van he used to have. I don't know if you remember it or not. It was a really cool shag and wagon van, but uh, we, I went back there to get some groceries or something out of the back seat after we had gotten home, and me being the you know dumb 11-year-old I was, I went in and I went to go sit down in the seat and the windshield is actually resting like from the back seat to like the middle row. And I leaned into the, uh, into the windshield and it just cracked it right in half. Oh God. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, my dad's going to be pissed. Like I was like fucking shaking, man. And, um, yeah, eventually obviously he found out. And, He's a screamer. Yeah. I mean, actually that was the one instance where he actually did, um, you know, he understood it was a mistake and obviously I didn't sound something I wanted to do. And, you know, the thing is, I didn't meet my father until I was like 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't know that. So my dad didn't really know how to be a dad until, until you know, until I, I, until he was until I asked him to be one. Yeah. And I didn't really know how to be a son to a father. So that's kind of, you know, that's basically the base of, of why we had so, you know, so many problems growing up. And, uh, but, you know, it's not, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And, you know, me and my dad have a great relationship now, and I love him very much. And you know. Dude, I remember that time. and Because I remember when you first popped up on the scene. Mm-hmm. I had only pretty much just recently met your dad. And it was through my dad painting his car. I remember that. Your dad working at my dad's shop. Yeah. yeah. And they became friends, and then so we would hang out there. And um, that's actually the first place I ever drank whiskey. Really? Yeah. At the shop of the house on Sandridge? Uh-huh. No shit. <laughs> um... That's funny, and you, I was the first person to get you drunk. <laughs> Jeff, you're just ruining my life. I am. <laughs> no, I was playing. Um, but no, yeah, those were some fun times there. But I remember when you first showed up, and I related to you right away, because I always felt super out of place there, because there's all these grown men, really, and I would just kind of sit around and watch them get drunk and wait to go home and occasionally get to drive, because 
there have been people <laughs> drinking. Um, but yeah, and it it was, I always still really liked to go because it just made me feel cool to be there in that group. Yeah. But um, when you showed up, it's like, oh, thank God, finally another kid. And you were Jake's age, so it was just like, it, you just fit right in. We needed, we needed a Cooper. Yeah. yeah. And um, you were so very different from your dad it, that it was like, um, people, almost. People always say that. <laughs> because it's just personality. Yeah. Like, you look like your dad. Yeah. Like, you, you. You're very like your physicality is definitely Belial, mm -hmm. but your personality was all sweetheart. Like it was just like this kid is is his son. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. And um, I loved it. I thought it was cool because it's exactly what he needed. Um, it was just cool to see somebody who I was like I I I wasn't afraid of your dad because I knew he was like. It's it's a personality thing. It wasn't it. He wasn't actually angry. Yeah. He just talks like that. Exactly. Um. And I liked it. It it was it actually made me feel comfortable. Um. Because my dad was similar, and yeah. And then I don't know. It was just it was cool when you when you started showing up and yeah. I don't, it was bizarre. It, it was really bizarre. It was for me. It was a weird experience. And then you were just there all the time because <laughs> you, it started with just a visit, right? Yeah, I've I've came down and visited my father a couple times, and eventually I, I liked the area and I liked the people here, and I liked my father, of course, and eventually I decided to move down here permanently. And that was from Kirkland, right? Yeah, I, I currently where I currently live now. Yeah, mm. so, and that was a crazy time in my life. Um, you know, looking back, it was probably a mistake. <laughs> Because, again, I mean, my, my my father's relationship would eventually kind of fall apart. But, you know, again, it's not his fault. It's not my fault. He didn't know how to be a dad. I that, mean, you're also, a father. It's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And I, I realized this through watching my own parents. Parenting kids, like, from age 0 to 12, probably, is one thing. Mm -hmm. And then parenting kids from 12 to 18, whole other thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was a punked little brat and didn't, I didn't know how to be disciplined because my mom didn't really give a shit. And well, also, he, he's, he took on this job of, of raising this kid at, at a time when that previous 12-year exposure would have been very helpful. Yeah. So, like, he didn't have the foundation set up to, like, the trust or, or any of that exactly. set up to, to make it easier on him. And, and you were a kid, so you were going to be a Doing what kids do, which yeah. is, you know, annoying. Raising hell, yeah. be annoying, breaking windshields. <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah. looking back, I was very frustrated and very upset about the entire situation. How could you not be? But looking, but now being a grown adult and having decades to digest everything, I realized, you know, I couldn't have done any better job. Like, I mean, I don't know what, I mean, I'm, I'm not a father, I never will be, but it's, it's hard. I you mean, might I, be. I mean, I'm, I mean, I might adopt. Yeah, I've always considered adopting. So that's something I've always wanted to do. But. I've got three kids. My only father, one. Really? So, yeah. yeah. You could still be a father. Yeah, I mean, I, I think after everything I've been through, I would have something to offer the world. You would be such a great dad. You Cooper. think so? Yeah, and I think you should. I mean, like that really. Um, yeah, don't think of yourself as as not potentially going to be a father. I feel like you would be a, such a great dad. I, would, I mean, I kind of seen what it's like to. I mean, not to have a great dad, but I've seen what not to do. Yeah. You know, again, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to badmouth my father. I mean, my father is a good man. He has a great heart and he's somebody that without, I, I wouldn't be nearly as successful as I am now. Um, not that I'm that successful, but he's definitely somebody that's been very pivotal in my life and the direction I've gone. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, childhood was rough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, but I think that's kind of why 
I tried to be so like well liked and so nice and so respected and I had a walk high in the peninsula because my life at home was so chaotic. Like I needed people around me. Yeah. Like your brother and you, you're always like like a big brother to me and I needed people around me to like love me back because I, yeah. I wanted to give love because I don't think I would have made it if like not only was my life at home a disaster, if my, if I, every day I went to Waco High and hated it, I, I don't think I would have made it. Yeah. but You were an easy guy to love. You still are, man. Uh, I, I appreciate it. For some reason, you're just one of those people who people easily connect with. Like, I don't know what it is specifically, but something about your vibe is, uh, it's, it's weird. Like, you're one of those people who I feel like if I can go 10 years without seeing, and I'll see you, and it's like, a day yeah, hasn't passed. This wasn't weird at all. It was no, weird. it's weird that all. it wasn't weird. <laughs> yeah, and I, I will have way more awkwardness with somebody I saw last week. Really? Like it's just you have a very open. Uh, it's an openness, an energy of openness, and just like no malicious vibe. No, like you're not guarded and secretive. It's just it's really nice. It's refreshing to be honest with you. And you've had it since the day I met you. Wow. It's it's really cool. I try to keep good vibes, man. Life's too short, dude. I mean, I'm not saying I don't get upset. I'm not saying I don't get angry. I'm, I'm sure not... you got some rage. Oh, yeah. Everybody does, but I just... Rage is just a ex- weird one. It's just exhausting being... Like, maybe I probably should be a little more serious in my day-to-day life, but it's just yeah. it's just exhausting sometimes to just, like, yeah. keep going at it constantly, but... Life is, is short, and it's complicated, and it's really hard to do if you don't laugh. Like, if you don't just create lightness in your life you know it'll be darkness agreed um real quick before we get out of here something i've i've noticed you button up against during this interview and i do it all the time the dad stuff is hard to talk about because they're not dead they're down the road they're actually both of them are down the road from us right now same road it's hard to tell your story truthfully without feeling like you're throwing your dad under the bus but you're not and and he and i'm talking about my dad too in this situation but they made mistakes it's okay to acknowledge things that happened when we were kids and and that's part of our story what we're doing in this space right now is trying to share our life and share our personality who we are part of that is the hardships and being able to talk about that stuff is easy if you have become estranged with your dad or if, if the relationship was destroyed by these things and, and it was, you know, it's over. And so, sure, air your grievances, talk about it. But yeah. that's not the case with either one of us. Like, we both had, you know, strained relationships with our fathers and we both still very much love our fathers and have relationships with them now that yeah. sometimes are still strained, sometimes not. Like, that's life. And we only get a couple chances at parents so you know you got to appreciate them you have to honor them and you got to really try hard to do that but at the same time you got to honor truth and you got to honor yourself and and if if telling your story is something that you need to do then you need to do it and and they need to realize that when you are telling a story even if they're in it even if it's a story about something that they did to you or didn't do for you that they should have maybe it's still your story and they may be a character in it, but they have their own version of it that they are welcome to tell or not tell. Yeah, actually, that's the main draw, main, main takeaway I got from yours and your brother's episode. Yeah. Because obviously you guys delved into a lot of seemingly pr- private stuff, I guess. But at the same time, you're right. You know, it is. You were there, you know. Yeah. It was your perspective, so. I'm trying to live a shame-free life. I, I would like 
because that's the thing. I do not have negative feelings towards my parents um, for anything. I think that they were kids when they started having kids, and I think that they made plenty of mistakes, but they did a lot right. Oh, yeah. And they created people who I love, three of them, and I wouldn't change a thing. The, there, there's just no way to know what the impact of things are going to be. Suffering is part of it. And a lot of the time, if you have the right attitude about whatever kind of thing that's making you suffer, if you look at it correctly, it's going to bring about bounty in your life. And it, and it can. It's a fuel for your next step. It's fuel for progress. Or it's a weight that's going to hold you down and it's going to keep you where you are or even drag you lower. So you get to choose. But I think that talking about your pain and things that have caused you pain, especially when you've been able to come through it and come out on the other side and still love the people who caused it, that's that's big, man. And I think it's very admirable of you to come on and do that. I, I appreciate you saying that. It's very, very well said. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap this thing up, man. Yeah. Uh, we've been here for a, a while now, and it's it's been really, really great. Likewise. Um, th- this went by so fast. Yeah. Um, we've been here for two and a half hours? Mm-hmm. I think so. What? Yeah, it's almost five. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> that so went by so fast. Started at two. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's time time warp in here when it's going well. So that means this is probably going to be a good podcast. I hope so, man. I hope I didn't disappoint the couple people that wanted me on. And uh, you know, not definitely not. It's been an honor. I really appreciate it. Well, do you have any closing words? Closing words. Um, we as a nation need to learn to love each other again and find common ground and find unity. And just because we disagree on a lot of certain things doesn't mean we have to disagree with the idea of respecting one another. Fuck yeah. Life is good. It's going to get bad sometimes. It's going to be a roller coaster. But if we're all in this together like we should be, then it's it's all gonna, it's all going to be all right. So That was beautiful, man. Yeah, I try. I love you, dude. Love you more, bro. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. It's been a pleasure. Before I go off the air, Jeff, I just want to say uh, I got something for you. It's something I've had for many years. Oh, wow. Thanks, man. It's a Buddha. <laughs> yeah, I got it uh, in China. And uh, China actually has a very large Buddhist following. Um, obviously, how many people live there is bound to be. But Buddha, um, from what I understand, it's not so much a religion. It's kind of more of a way of life. Yeah, it's a and philosophy. Yeah, it's, you, it's pr- in the constant pursuit of Zen and inner peace. And this is kind of... Well, I was thinking I have all this crap in my house from my travels, and I was thinking about bringing a number of things down, but what you're doing here and kind of the, the vibe you're going for, I thought that'd be rather fitting. So It's perfect. And also, I love Buddha. I think Buddha's pretty cool. Very cool, actually. You so, know what those dots on his head are? I don't. Those are curls, Then they represent the sins of man. No shit. Yeah. Oh, well, now I know. You know why his ears are so droopy? Earrings. That is why. But he, because he had gold earrings and they were heavy. Oh, uh, and he was a prince, uh, Siddhartha. Shit. Yeah. And he no decided idea. to give up his princely wealth and travel the world to find peace. Damn. Well, it served me well over the years and now I want you to have it. And I, hopefully it uh, brings some more good vibes to the studio here on, on Ramble by the River. It will never leave that spot. That's going to be it forever. Right on, man. That's it's awesome. Cool, man. Um, yeah, this has been a pleasure, dude. Thank Likewise. you. Really, really thank you for coming. Thank you, Jeff. Bye, right. guys. Bye, guys. Just now, say it with your chest I'm now. Young, I'm free. Can't nobody take me here and now. It's my time to run it out. It's my time. It's my time. It's my time to run.
dream, say yeah. Yeah. If you gotta walk, say yeah. Yeah. Everybody's going somewhere. Yeah. Young or old, I really don't care. Yeah. Life has never really been fair. Yeah. So put your fist up in the air. Yeah. Say yeah. I'm young. I'm free. Can't nobody take me. Hey!